This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons and Shudder.com, where you can extend their normal 7-day free trial to a 30-day free trial by using the Horror Movie Podcast promotion code. Just go to Shudder.com slash podcast and use the promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com slash podcast and the promo code HMP for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 161, a surprise bonus release for you, and it's another one of our Frankensteinian episodes. But the main event of this show is our Suspiria Versus, where we're going to review Dario Argento's original Suspiria from 1977. And the new 2018 Suspiria. And on Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-host tonight is... Wolfman, Josh, and Jay, I'm not that kind of werewolf. (laughs) That's not what I heard. (laughs) (laughs) listeners um dr shock will be joining us a little later on for our screaming online segment but in the meantime we want to welcome back a very special guest the host of the haunted davenport podcast where they cover retro horror and sci-fi television Uh, most recently they did a halloween special special where they discussed their favorite halloween television specials and episodes and then This guest was on HMP episode 151, Killing in the Name of Part 2, where we talked about religious cults. And so we welcome back the horror unicorn herself, Allison with a Y. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. We're grateful you're here. Very happy to have you here, especially to help us with what I understand is one of your favorite films of all time. Is that true? Yes, the original Suspiria is one of my very favorite films. Wow. And I will explain why if that's, I don't know, if that needs explanation. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, well, let's get to that. But also, I, I just was thinking about this as I was watching the new Suspiria. You had been our guest for The Love Witch as well. So mm-hmm. you, you have a, a, a witchly interest, which uh, <laughs> is exciting. That's that's true. I, I do enjoy uh, films about witches. I enjoy witches in in pop culture and it's just it's kind of a theme around here so and drew drew likes it as well so that works out well does he have a choice or do you have him under a spell <laughs> i'm not gonna reveal that it's secret. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what is it allison about the whole witch concept as a monster what do you like about witches just curious well you know i i don't really 
think of witches as monsters all the time. Sometimes they definitely are monstrous. Um, but the older I get, the more, especially as a woman confronting ideas of aging and female power and what that has meant in our modern day society, you know, like aging really isn't something that's valued or, you know, wisdom isn't as you age, isn't really something that is honored in our Western society as much. And especially with women, you know, women are taught to be afraid of getting older. And a lot of times witches are portrayed as an old hag. And um, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's something that I am finding more and more intriguing in my own life. And I'm very much mm-hmm. into nature and I happen to live in a really beautiful forested part of the country. And so that works well for me. And I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm interested in, um, sort of the culture, like the actual real culture of, of uh, neo-pagans celebrating nature and seasonal changes. And um, and I'm also interested in how witches have been portrayed in pop culture. Like, I love the show Bewitched. Um, mm-hmm. big, mm-hmm. <laughs> Elizabeth Montgomery fan. I love Agnes Moorhead to death. And um, it's, I don't know, it's just always kind of naturally appealed to me. I'm kind of somebody who just goes with my gut on what I like. And sometimes I have a hard time justifying it. It just things either feel like a good fit um, or they don't. And, and in horror films, even if the witch is the villain, I just, I think that's interesting. Even if it's just, I like the occult set dressings of a lot of, you know, hammer horror films from the seventies. I like, um, there's, I guess there's something weirdly comforting about those scenes. Not that I feel like I, you know, I'm not going to go out and sacrifice animals or do things like that is, I think that would be horrible, but there's something about having a lot of candles lit around and having something be a shrine to something Mm -hmm. that's just very, very comforting. And um, part of my family was Catholic. And so there was something weirdly familiar in some like Catholicism and shrines. Yeah, Yeah. Like that's, there's, there's a lot of familiarity with that. And I, I'm always fascinated by how Catholicism has intersected with um, uh, other traditions to create sort of new, newer traditions and how like, um, and I think a, a good part of that is because of people like ritual. I think ritual in a way, um, not to get super religious, but I think ritual in a way is just a really embellished form of prayer for people. But mm-hmm. I think maybe if you have mm-hmm. self-doubt or worry about the world at large and you feel like you don't have a lot of personal power, maybe setting a scene for your prayer or like having all these uh, props, I guess, helps boost your confidence and asking for what it is that you're looking to have happen or asking for help from from God, you know, however you see that. I thought you were going to say maybe a your signal, which I thought was ex- <laughs> oh well, you know that too. I mean, it just depends on <laughs> on you know what your faith is, but I think that the act of creating a ritual is very interesting to me, and the act of the idea of of people casting spells. You know, I don't. It's not like in a movie where you're going to instantly transform yourself or your situation or someone else, but there's there's a lot of intention put in it, and I and I find that very fascinating, mm-hmm. and and I just also feel like. It's sort of uh, in this day and age, a lot of the symbolism of witches has gone on to be related to female empowerment. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. find that very comforting. Um, I, and I find that very interesting. But I, I mean, I, I love kind of cartoony Halloween, which is as much as I love something that's had a lot of thought put into it, like um, like the film The Love Witch, for example. 
Well, like with the Love Witch, it's interesting to see a reappropriation of what not only a, a word that was used to kind of denigrate women in the past, but also literally murder women for hundreds of years in history. And it's fascinating to see that then reclaimed as like this feminist form. That's super interesting as symbolically, but also when you were talking about Catholicism, just reverse engineering that idea, like, Oh yeah. And also Christianity and and mostly Catholicism as like the main force of Christianity at that time period, totally took pagan holidays and put the, like the Christian, you know, days of celebration around those already celebrated pagan holidays as a way to accrue new members. And that's a fascinating part of our history as well, that actually a lot of our Christian holidays stem from, or, or so were associated initially with pagan holidays. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to put anybody else's way of celebrating down, but I, as an adult, I kind of, you know, with some, fractured family situations and just, you know, things change as you get older, I actually had to like re I had to change my relationship with Christmas to appreciate it again. And I've gotten to this point where I really enjoy all of the seasonal aspects and all the things about Yule. And I kind of get a kick out of Krampus. And, um, we, uh, <laughs> both my husband and I have, um, a lot of, uh, Northern European Scandinavian heritage in our families. And I just find myself naturally gravitating to these older images of gnomes and amanita mushrooms and reindeer. And it's very much a fairy tale aspect of Christmas that, um, you know, as a non-religious person, I can connect with that and connect with enjoying celebrating light in the darkest season in kind of a magical way and not having it feel like this, um, which is what the winter solstice was all about too, right? Yeah. Winter solstice was all about light in the darkness. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, and I actually, I really get excited about it now, but for completely different reasons than, you know, as a kid, it was presents and family, and I still enjoy seeing a lot of my family at, at the holidays, but um, there was always kind of a religious overtone for some of them that just didn't ever feel right to me, so it's nice to feel like I can connect with it on my own level and feel like this is a this is an older, multi-layered tradition and celebration in winter it doesn't have to be about just one thing and one size fits all so yeah well fascinating stuff before we move on to our christmas episode which is my favorite episode of the year let's (laughs) let's um refocus ourselves on this idea of witches because i think you bring up so many fascinating points that hopefully we can explore within the context of these movies where about to talk about well i'm being 100 percent sincere when i say i'm just blown away by everything allison just taught us and i mean and i mean that genuinely like you're just so well spoken allison about these things i'm just like wow uh, i don't know about you josh but she should just solo cast this whole suspiria business on both of yeah, these okay so we'll, we'll talk to you guys next week <laughs> yeah she's trying to get out of it no I know. <laughs> no i mean uh, like i'm, I'm like flattered but yeah no <laughs> oh my goodness so. i got I, nice try jason no, you're not getting out of it no i mean uh, but i'm being sincere that was just extremely well said and uh, incredible i mean i was just i'm just impressed okay so thank you for doing that and yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about Suspiria 1977, especially with Allison, especially given this is one of your all-time faves here, because I feel like 
I'm already seeing that I bet you'll be able to help me appreciate it on a deeper level. So shall we move into that feature review? Is everybody ready for that? Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about Dario Argento's Suspiria from 1977. Violets are blue, but the iris is the flower that will mean the end of it. You can run from Suspiria. Suspiria, but you cannot escape Suspiria. The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria are the first 92. So the original Suspiria is about an American dance student named Susie Banyan, and she's accepted to the prestigious uh, Dance Tanz Academy, um, which means Dance Academy in Germany. Um, and so she flies to Germany to this um, prestigious school, and... It's immediately strange when she gets there and it begins to unravel more and more and she starts to suspect, along with one of her classmates, Sarah, that there's something sinister happening in the school and it's of an occult nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, it, let us have it. Tell us why you love this film. I, I really want to know. Are, and also, I, I forgot to ask before, are we going to go full spoilers for both films or the new one? I think we should not. I think we should do as far as we can go without spoilers. Okay. Mm -hmm. I will be very careful in the things that I say then. So I saw the original Suspiria uh, probably about 10 years ago and I, it'd been on my radar for a while as a horror fan. I actually seen it in a blockbuster years ago and almost picked it up. But wasn't like actually super impressed by the cover. I was kind of like, oh, this looks like it could be cool. It sounds really surreal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it just wasn't, um, it, it somehow it didn't get to the top of my list. And then I just finally sat down and watched it one night. And I thought, oh my God, where have you been all my life? Because it was so much color and sound. And it was, I, I think I'm a very visual person, um, but I also really love surrealism and and it, I love fairy tales and it, it felt like it was just this awesome sort of nightmarish fairy tale in just eye popping colors. And it also has a very um, Art Nouveau style to the way the sets are designed and the way some of the mm-hmm. scenes are shot, which is one of my absolute favorite periods of art. And it's also really fits in with a fairy tale motif um, because in the Art Nouveau period you had the industrial revolution happening at the same time and sort of as this reaction um, shapes for design for interior design and architecture and jewelry all started becoming more organic and kind of feminine and naturally influenced. So you have all these sort of floral motifs and feminine figures adorning um, jewelry and uh, like letterheads for, you know, the beginning of a book or something. You just see it everywhere. It was just this decorative style that was, 
all over the place and in advertising. And it was also, you know, even built into architecture, which you can still see if you go um, into Scotland or you go into, um, if you go to Barcelona in Spain, there's, there's places you can go where you can see all this. And so it's really fitting for this movie that's so surreal because it's kind of a surreal art form. And, and I just, it never mm-hmm. occurred to me and it wasn't evident from any of the posters or promotional material I'd seen that there was so much Art Nouveau in this film. And even just the kill scenes, like the way they're shot, look like they're perfectly arranged for a painting. Like they plan this out to be this beautiful composition with bright red blood flowing and all. And I just, as an artist, I just, I was awestruck by it. And I loved the music too, um, mm-hmm. the soundtrack by Goblin. And I, I just, I've always been an 80s slasher fan and always had a love for horror and loves supernatural horror especially 60s and 70s supernatural horror. And I had never really delved into Italian cinema. And this was my first exposure to it as far as horror cinema. And and I was absolutely blown away. And I, I checked out a lot of other work by Argento and also Mario Bava um, as a result of this and just kind of realized that I love some of the surrealism and also just the lighting. I mean, there's a lot of credit for Dario Argento in the original Suspiria for the lighting, but I also feel like Mario Bava was doing this when he started doing color films as well. Um, I think mm-hmm. we had a joke around our house that when we add a colored light bulb to something that we were adding Bava lighting to our house, <laughs> <laughs> sort of a decorating scheme, but it's, it's so, it's just such a gorgeous film. Like it's, it, it doesn't make ton of, a ton of sense as far as the plot. And some of the dialogues really stilted because, um, as a lot of people know, originally he had intended to have 12 to 13 year old girls in this dance school um, rather than adult women playing these parts. And if you picture a 12 year old delivering some of the lines or like there's a part where girls are kind of fighting in the dressing room and they're sticking out their tongue at each other. And, you know, adult women don't usually yeah. do that, um, <laughs> at least none that I know. And and I, I doubt anything was different in the 70s, but it's it's just kind of um so it adds to the surrealism that you see these kind of grown, full-grown women acting like little girls and all the doorknobs are placed higher and and a lot of the women are kind of dwarfed by the building itself to like lend to sort of like little girls lost in the woods. I mean, and they're actually <laughs> in the Black Forest, which is where some of the Grimm's fairy tales take place. And it's just yeah, that's super so cool. cool. I just eat it up. Mm-hmm. So I guess I feel well, like this was made for me is in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. One quick point on the sticking out the tongues thing, though. So my mom was about the age of these characters in 1977. And to this day, she's extremely offended if someone sticks their tongue out at her. She sees it like as a major offense. So I thought maybe it was just something about the set late 70s. Like that was the thing when I, when yeah. I watched this. But <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> I will know not to stick my tongue out at your mom, Josh, next time I see it. She hates it. Okay. I have a cousin who does it to her as a joke all the time, but it's one of those things where it really actually makes her mad, you know, like everyone else is kind of yeah. laughing about how stupid it is, but she's like it aff- actually pissed. It offends her. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Your mom's awesome. So just a quick side note though, just to, I know this is random, but I want to get the temperature of this here. Allison, how do you feel about the mother of tears from 2007, given that you love Suspiria so much? I haven't seen it. And I, was actually tonight when I was kind of revisiting the original Suspiria, I was kicking myself for not 
having seen it yet. And I'd heard people say, oh, if you really like Suspiria and Inferno, you probably won't like this one as much. But I'm kind of interested in in the whole concept that Dario Argento had about the three mothers. I know that, mm-hmm. that Daria Nicolodi had a lot to do with this specific story. I'm not sure as far as her input on um, Inferno. And I, I don't think they were together, you know, for any of the pre-production right. for Mother of Tears. But mm. so I just, I don't know a whole lot about it other than I know that that character um, played by a different actress makes a brief appearance in Inferno. Um, yes. Yeah, that's my experience with it. I only bring it up because a, a lot of people, it seems like most horror fans I talk to hate that movie. And I actually appreciate that one. I, I actually like that one. Uh, it's your it, favorite of the Mother's Trilogy. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I, but I guess I'm weird. But anyways, so I just <laughs> want to get get your thoughts on that. But back to Suspiria, um, I definitely agree with you 100%. There is no denying that this is a, a work of art. I mean, it is it is beautiful. And, and I like the word you said and you described it as a nightmare because it does. It's one of those horror films that, plays and feels like a nightmare it's almost like our protagonist is is in the midst of a of a dream that um well she and she is presumably drugged and dreaming through or you know asleep through big portions of the movie and so it follows maybe that this nightmare logic and Mm -hmm. dreamy world that we're experiencing could stem from that place well said And, and but the other aspect of that though i mean I'm sure everyone has experienced this. Sometimes you can be having a dream that's going pretty well. And it's this, you know, interesting exploration and you're excited or, or nervous or whatever it is, but then it goes south and, and turns into a nightmare. And, and I feel like that's, that's what we have here. And I think that's neat to see that depicted in film. So, and, and I'm with you with the soundtrack, like, you know, goblin is incredible and so and i like the the colors so I, I i'm with all of that i guess my my biggest complaint about this film has always been that it's it just feels like um i mean it's deliberately paced and that's fine if if only we had gotten more horror payoff i i feel like it's thin on the horror it, at least what i was looking for i mean i i thought it was going to be bigger and more horrifying or more ferocious at the end. But, um, you know, and that's just personal taste, but I think that's what, what it's been for me is it's a little underwhelming, even though it is a beautiful work of art. Well, I'll give you that. It's not a, a a terrifying film, at least for me. I, I enjoy it so much visually that when some of the terrifying moments happen, um, I guess when you're kind of staring at an odd everything, it takes a little bit of the suspense out of it, you know? <laughs> and, but I, I would also say, did you see the director, the unedited like director's cut of this film ever? Or have you just seen no. the theatrical cut? Cause there is quite a bit of gore that's emitted from the original theatrical version, which is what originally circulated around the United States. Um, and then there's, if you watch the new Blu-ray, you can see oh. um, the unedited bits. Because I've seen both versions, and I remember um, 
anytime I've seen it shown in a theater on 35 millimeter, it's been the original theatrical cut. And there is some of the gore mm. is pared down a bit. And I, I remember kind of being disappointed because okay. I've seen the original cut first. Oh, that's good to know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. D- Josh, it's have not you- drastic, but there is a difference. Have you seen the the version she's talking about, Josh? No, I haven't, no. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Well, thanks for telling us about that. Then that sounds like something yeah. I should look. Because, yeah, that's something about the Mother of Tears that I like. It, it seems a little more like <laughs> it, it goes more into the, the horror for me. But, you know, that's fine. I mean, horror doesn't always have to be gore, of course. And, it, you know, I, I the fact that it's nightmarish, I can definitely respect that. But, but Josh, what do you think about the original Suspiria? Well, just really quickly on that note, I think that is maybe a reason to get that Blu-ray then because I had just purchased the Blue Underground DVD when I heard about that Blu-ray and I was like, dang it, I don't, I've already got this great DVD release. Is it worth buying the Blu-ray? But it sounds like maybe so if you get that alternate cut. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Allison said it wonderfully. It is a work of art. I love, Allison, how you talked about the different modes of actually um, – art that are represented visually in terms of the sets and wallpapers and decor, because there's so much of that in the film. And I think it's fascinating, you know, they're in Germany, presumably in Freiburg, but uh, the location that they go to, to, to the school is on Escherstrasse, she says, when she's talking to the, um, the cab driver. And then later, in the first attack scene that we see, there's some MC Escher prints on the wall paper there as well. So I thought that was because he's a Dutch artist, but it's interesting that that must've very much been on Argento's mind when he was making the film. Um, Escher died in 72 at the age of 73 and he didn't really get famous until he was 70. So Uh, This would have been just a couple of years after his first exhibitions and kind of at the height of his popularity. So I think that's interesting that that made it into the movie as well. Um, The lighting for me is a huge thing. I, you know, it's interesting because as a general cinephile, if you're not big on horror, your assumption might be that all of Italian cinema is just kind of like our cheap ripoffs of American movies, mostly due to, the spaghetti westerns although like the spaghetti westerns i think these films achieve their own level of artistry that are oftentimes on the same level or or exceed the american films that they're mimicking um obviously we have that with horror too with you know troll 2 and and zombie 2 but zombie <laughs> 2 also is considered a classic by many i know jay i think it's in your top 10 horror movies mm-hmm. so love it um even though, even though they are seen as kind of cheap ripoffs, I guess, of American movies. The artistry really is on, on a different scale and it is measured. I think you can measure it differently because it's on a different scale as well, because they are attempting to do something different with these movies as you know, most said about these guys, Bava and Argento they're you know, they're not big on plot. Like this isn't, this isn't like a really satisfying film in terms of the plot but experientially and we just talked about this with mandy you know last week on the show Mm -hmm. which i think must have been heavily influenced by suspiria in terms of the lighting and 
and, and other elements, that's really a film to be experienced to f- you feel. And I feel like Suspiria works on me that way as well. I feel so much. And as Dave said on our last episode, that's something that cinema can accomplish that other art forms can't is the ability to, with sound and image, make you experience a narrative without necessarily dialogue. You know, it's, it's functioning just in a different way that's purely cinematic. And I think Argento does that so well. Personally, would I be would I enjoy even more if there was like a really great tight narrative? Yeah, and I think I kind of found that out in a film we're going to talk about here in a minute. But I, for me, like John Carpenter is my favorite horror director, and it's so clear how much he got from Italian cinema. You know, he ripped off from Italian cinema from Giallo's when he popularized you know, the slasher with Halloween and really kind of cemented what that slasher genre would go on to be. Um, I think his lighting schemes, which are my, among my favorite ever in cinema with these kind of primary colors of red, yellow, and blue. And, and the way he uses red and blue in contrast, he clearly gets that from Argento. And um, again, that's very similar in Mandy that we've just recently seen, but I love the way Argento uses light, like it really does impact me emotionally. When I, I, I just love the way it feels to be in these worlds he creates and these amazing sets and, and costumes. And so, you know, I, this film is so influential. It, it, it's influenced so many of my favorite films, not just Carpenter, but um, Lost Boys. I was noticing this time, which I hadn't noticed previously, how much Lost Boys rips off from Suspiria um, I, I realized on kind of my latest viewing. So yeah, I love, I love this movie. I like traditional narrative, but I can do without it as well. So I understand why people may have issues with this or may feel unfulfilled on a viewing of this, but if you just approach it differently, you know, I think we talked about that with our um, gates of hell trilogy as well. Like you can mm-hmm. just appreciate this viscerally Um Right. And I think you'll enjoy the experience. I'm with you. What say you, Allison? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely understand why people um, have trouble with this with this film and want more from it. I, I personally don't because it hits so many buttons for me that are just, I just enjoy so much of what's happening and what I'm hearing that I don't care as much about some of the dialogue being a little bit clunky or some of the things that happen that don't really, there's like a few plot points that don't really lead to anything. They're just there. And I mean, you can sort of infer what you want to, and I guess you could fill in the blanks and make it work, but it's not going to do that for you. And it's not really clear whether the filmmakers were planning on fleshing those little side, side notes out. Without, they cared, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I really think, I really think, um, people talk about style over substance and I, and I I've heard that applied to Suspiria, but I would say that there's so much style that the style kind of is the substance. Like the style is supposed to make you have Mm -hmm. an experience like Josh was saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, I, I love the little bits about MC Usher and the Usher Strasse. And and there's even, um, I think that the uh, head of the school, her office has a whole cityscape scene that's an Escher mm-hmm. scene that looks very much like uh, the end of Labyrinth 
when uh, Jennifer mm-hmm. Connelly is facing off against uh, David Bowie, and 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 I think it kind of mirrors the how the story like. is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you feel like you're with this big-eyed waif of this girl and Susie Banyan <laughs> who's lost in the woods and she's in over her head and everything is getting very unreal and she's trying to make sense of it and stumbling along. And I, and I love that. I mean, um, I was actually just watching some of the featurettes on the Blu-ray and I hadn't heard this previously, but apparently Dario Argento really wanted to um, have kind of a dark Disney feel of like, he really liked Snow White and he wanted mm-hmm. to infuse mm. that. And he, when he saw, um, when he, I think it was, he had seen Jessica Harper in Phantom of the Paradise and, mm. and thought this, this girl looks like a girl from a fairy tale that's fighting off a witch. You know, she just got that vibe, the Snow White, the Snow White look. So I well, thought that was really cool. Snow White's such a great touchstone because I've heard Daria Nicolodi talk about how her, well, first of all, she's talked about how this is actually based on an experience that her grandmother told her. Did you guys, have you guys heard that story? Mm-hmm. I just heard that recently. That's crazy. Yeah. Her, her grandmother attended uh, a school, an art school for piano and apparently had like a pretty similar experience where she believed the, people there were practicing Satanism and witchcraft and she ran away into the woods and tried to escape from it basically. And uh, according to Daria, like who we should also mention is um, Ozzy Argento's mother. Um, she didn't, she was afraid to mention them in the interview that I saw because she's like, yeah, this place is still running. It's still in existence. So I'm not going to say it, mention it by name. And I was like, well, that's kind of scary. <laughs> wow. But, um, But beyond that, you know, with the the reference to Snow White, she said that her touchstones were what she was calling perverse innocence that she saw in Alice in Wonderland and Bluebeard, which are really interesting, super creepy touchstones. And I like the way she put that kind of perverse innocence of that. Um, You can, I feel like that comes through in the film. Yeah. And like just the thought of of that actually relating to us a, a family story and makes it so much more interesting <laughs> to me because you know it's such a surreal film but i could see how when you're a child if you encounter something scary that you don't understand it gets ingrained in your memory the same way a nightmare would and sometimes it's hard when you're looking back to remember well, did I dream that or is that actually a childhood memory? Cause they start to blur together. So that, I think that adds an interesting layer to this whole story. Mm-hmm. And also music and, and dance are often used in ritual. So that, I mean, that makes mm-hmm. sense to me and, and it gets carried on, you know, to spoil our next discussion, but you know, that plays an even bigger role in the remake. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess my my final thoughts on this would be um, I I agree with what you both have said about like it seems like there are two and and you don't have to be one or the other but often there are two kinds of cinema watchers like there there are the story people which is what I consider myself and then there are people who are okay with experience and and of course it's a spectrum there is everything in between. But I feel like this is definitely on the experience side more than the story side. And, and, and for me, I'm just, I'm so anchored to premise and, and loving the, the story, like a horror story. Um, but, you know, again, 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my all-time favorite horror film, and and that is the epitome of a a nightmare on film. And so I I respect that aspect of it. Again, just want to say that. But um, anyways. I'll just throw out my rating here, but you guys, you guys are welcome to continue as long as you want on this. But for me, this is like a, and I hope people aren't mad at me. I'm just saying it's a six out of 10 for me, which is respectable because it's a one-time watch. I think you should rent it if you've never seen it at the very least. And I say that due to its artistry, it's, it's definitely a work of art and it's classic nature. I think that, you know, it's something that if you're a horror fan, you should at least experience it once. But I will say if you're like me and you have a short attention span or something, don't watch it when you're tired and make sure you have snacks. That's, that's what I'm saying. But <laughs> what do you, what do you say? Wolfman, Josh? Um, you know, I love this movie despite also being kind of a premise guy. I love mysteries and there is a mystery at the heart of this film. You know, and most mysteries have all of these clues and moments of reveal. And this doesn't necessarily work that way. You know, this isn't a procedural mystery, which I love. This is an experiential mystery. The visual experience is so arresting. I'm fine with it. It totally sucks me in. This is a masterwork. And I think if you're someone who's interested in cinematography particularly, this is a masterclass in cinematography. With regard to color, so many frames are drenched in this oversaturated color. You have these incredible sets and this extreme use of light. And normally light is used to represent a practical source, be it, say, a street light or a lamp in the room or the moon. Filmmakers want their light to look natural, and you're supposed to basically have a place where the light could be coming from in a shot. Here the light is often subjective. Sometimes it warns of danger or it reflects a character's internal emotional state. That's particularly true with characters of Susie and Sarah who are the ones investigating the mystery of the dance school. So that subjective lighting ramps up as the film continues and kind of reaches its peak as we're led to the the big finale. Um, Normally like a bright reddish pink blood like this that looks like a melted crayon (laughs) might be off-putting to me, but in the context of this film, it's just so beautiful and it just adds to the film's style. The camera here is incredible. So many beautifully composed frames, innumerable amazing shots, and it's really cool. You'll have this beautiful composition with a character moving through the frame and the camera will move within the same shot and then create a new composition and a new beautiful, perfect frame. And you have that over and over and over again. And again, the colors and characters within each composition are just so perfectly placed. It's one of those films where each shot could be a still photograph in an art gallery or a painting in an art gallery. The level of craft here is on such a high level that these technicolor aesthetics alone make it a work of art, make it a masterpiece. But then at the same time, you know, by today's standards, it does have kind of a schlocky look. And I think that's due to the handmade quality and attention to detail that we see in the designs and the patterns and the costumes that you just don't see anymore in cinema. I will say, I was telling my wife, Rachel, this as we sat down to watch the movie, 
If you're not familiar with Italian cinema, it can at times be kind of grating. (laughs) You've got a lot of people yelling at each other through much of the film, and in the case of this movie, especially with the soundtrack that Goblin brings to it, it's just an assault on the senses. You know, the score is disturbing. There's a lot of breathy vocalization, which I guess is perfect for the mother of size, but also just like screeching sounds and it's very unpleasant at times, I guess, which is good because it's a horror movie. And I'm glad Allison brought up Snow White because that highlights even more that this is a horror fairy tale, complete with wicked stepmother and stepsisters who are also a coven of witches. Uh, you know, for me, this is a 9 out of 10, just short of a perfect 10 out of 10 because of the narrative elements that we've discussed, but for what it's trying to accomplish... It is a masterwork. Would I have liked a few scenes with these witches in beastly, hairy form? Absolutely. Would I have been okay with, you know, an expositional, you know, detective saying, here's how it all happened scene? Yeah, because I like that in my mysteries. But this is fantastic for what it is, which is a psychedelic, dream logic, waking nightmare horror fairy tale. Um, I was looking for some of our listeners' reactions to this on Letterboxd, and one of our listeners, Ian West, who I know is a big fan of this film, at the end of his review says, the definition of a classic. And I couldn't agree more. This is, without a doubt, a horror classic. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Ian is a very artistic person, so... Yeah. Just, no, and this I'm, is I'm a just... buy it for me. You know, I own the blue underground dvd and the blu-ray that allison's talking about is definitely enticing to me all right so josh gives it a nine says buy it and allison bring us home what do you think what's your rating well this is a 10 for me um mostly just because it 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 speaks so much as far as the audio audio and visual factors they just i i like to soak this movie in about once a year i just sit back and enjoy and, and it makes me happy, which um, maybe that's the wrong reaction to a horror movie, but <laughs> I'm just delighted with what I'm seeing. I also just wanted to mention really quickly that um, one of my favorite parts of the movie is this character, the side character of Olga, who is a little bit of an, an, an antagonist, but is just, she's played by this actress, uh, uh, Barbara Magnolfi, I think is her name. She's absolutely gorgeous and she's just moving around on the screen and she's just so absolutely mesmerizing (laughs) to me because she looks like the epitome of you know this art nouveau vamp there's this scene where she's in her apartment and she's got the long cigarette holder and she's doing her fingernails and her hair's up and the wallpaper behind her she looks like um I don't know if you guys have ever seen any of the um, illustrations by this artist named Aubrey Beardsley. He did uh, an illustrated version of Oscar Wilde's play Salome. And she looks like she came right off, off mm. those pages to me. And it, and so as somebody who is immersed in this art, it's just such a treat to just see these mm-hmm. images and it, and it fits together yeah. enough as a story and there's enough going on that that I'm on board with what's happening. And I definitely understand for people who that's, that's not enough for. And I am a story person as well, but when, when the visual aspects um, and the surreal images are appealing to me, I'm willing to let go of everything else and just go for the ride. And 
that's how I feel about this movie and, and I own it. Um, I almost bought the Steelbook Blu-ray last year, but it was like time to buy Christmas presents for family. So I, I just have the uh, the regular Synapse Blu-ray, which is the 4K release. And and I'm really happy with it. It's it's looks great. Um, there's some really nice featurettes for the um, the extra features talking about, you know, they've got some good interviews with people and people analyzing the film. And um, they also have an interview with the actress who played Olga and she just it seems like she just really enjoyed her experience and is really happy to talk to fans so that's always good when people walk away from a horror film and say yes I did that and I was part of it and I'm proud of it because <laughs> you know yeah. I, I, I heard Linda Blair talk about The Exorcist and it's like not so much you know I'm sure there's like <laughs> deep reasons there but it's nice when you hear somebody able to walk away from that experience and they feel like it was you know enriched their life so um, yeah, it's a 10. I say buy it. Um, I, I highly recommend it to anybody who um, enjoys, you know, things that are drenched in color. Um, if you haven't seen this, but you you liked the Neon Demon um, or you liked Mandy, mm-hmm. I think you should definitely check this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great comparisons. I forgot about Neon Demon. Definitely in the same world as this movie. Yes. All right, so that's our discussion of Suspiria from 1977. And now we're going to move into the Versus, which is uh, the new Suspiria from 2018. At the beginning, she gave me things. Perfect balance. Perfect sleep. She wants to get inside of me. I can feel her. When you dance the dance of another, you make yourself in the image of its creator. I feel like I'm not even here yet. The dump looks incredible. One, two, three. The way she transmits her work. You have to decide what is it you want to be for this company. There's more in that building than what you can see, Doctor. dangerous people. Three mothers, three God, three devil. Mother Tenebrarum, Mother Lacrimarum, and Mother Suspiriorum. Darkness, tears, <laughs> and sighs. some kind of deal with them. Uh, Suspiria 2018. Now, I haven't reviewed Call Me By Your Name, so I am not as well-versed in pronouncing this director's name as maybe you are, Jay. Is it Luca Guadagnino? Is that, I, it sounds uh, like you nailed it to me, because okay. I didn't know either. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so Luca Guadagnino, he is, of course, now an Oscar winner due to his last film, Call Me By Your Name. Um, he's also directed uh, films like I Am Love, which is a really disturbing drama, and um, A Bigger Splash, which was another drama 
film of his. Apparently, according to a review or an interview that I recently saw with him, he not only loved horror movies growing up, but he always wanted to be a horror director. And I think there were some people who, when they found out he was the one doing the Suspiria remake, on one hand, you think, okay, awesome. Like it's, it's great that a respected mainstream art house Oscar winning director wants to take on a property like Suspiria. But I think there were people who were also maybe concerned that it wouldn't, stay true to its horror roots, especially since he was quoted as saying that this was more about um, the feeling he got from Suspiria than it was a, a direct remake of Suspiria. So um, I guess I think a lot of people probably wondered, would this in fact be a horror movie? I think it is. I think it's incredibly tense and disturbing, unnerving, brutal. There's a lot of graphic imagery on screen it's scary i think it is the scariest movie about dance since black swan (laughs) and i think uh i think the dance is used as a horror tool in in the movie as well which is Mm -hmm. crazy it focuses much more on dance than the original suspiria you know although it's funny because i have always thought of suspiria the original as a dance film but when you compared to this, like this movie really spends time in the world of dance, like black Swan spends a lot of time in the world of these dancers and the way that it incorporates uh, the themes and the scares <laughs> into the dance is pretty remarkable. Um, I, uh, this is borderline and this is, this is blasphemous, but this is borderline better to me than the original <laughs> Suspiria. Like it, it lacks everything I love about the original Suspiria. That's the crazy thing because this is in some ways, um, this still is not super fulfilling on a narrative level, but it gives you way, way more than uh, the original film. And it, it changes the context quite a bit. It's set in the time period that the original film came out and it deals with the politics of that time period with the division of East and West Berlin. And I think it's an extremely interesting world to set this film in, but what that does is it, it takes on the kind of drab communist look that we might expect from that place at that era, Mm -hmm. rather than these extremely bright, you know, technicolor sets like we're used to from Argentus experience. This is a very drab, um, you know, earth toned muted, mm-hmm. uh, palette that we're dealing with in terms of color. Shocking. Is, I think, Yeah, but go ahead. Sorry. I'm just, Shocking in that it's the it's it's done on the film that is the right. remake of Suspiria. Right, right. I just I and, and I understand that you're saying that maybe that's why because of the setting and so forth. That I I was oh absolutely, yeah, absolutely. shocked that, that my that favorite film that takes place in this context. Previous to this is the lives of others. That's Leben Duranderen. Mm-hmm. Um, takes place in 1984 in East Berlin and follows a secret service agent um, who is exposing people who are trying to escape communism. This very much reminded me of the look and feel of that film. Um, So anyway, it it loses 
all of this grandeur that we get in the original Suspiria. Mm-hmm. But it retains masterful cinematography. I think just like the first film, this is a masterclass in cinematography. Mm-hmm. Just completely different, very different style. Right. And um, and what adds in story elements for me is really well within my wheelhouse. It's the stuff I really enjoy. Kind of Cold War. Um, there are a lot of allusions to. Uh, the Holocaust here, which I think are really effectively done uh, and, and work well with the narrative that they've created for this version of Suspiria. Um, I kind of like it. I kind of like that. This is how I think a remake should be done where it doesn't try to just recreate beat for beat, which I, you know, I'm fine with any, any filmmakers or artists uh, choices with regard to, like I'm fine with the psycho remake that's supposedly a shot for shot remake, which it's not, but it's the idea that they're essentially <laughs> going to redo every scene exactly how it was done mm-hmm. by Hitchcock. I'm okay with that, but I think this is interesting too. And I think it's just uh, exceptional in the way that they've um, kind of reimagined the world of Suspiria and kept all of the danger and nightmarish quality of that original film while expanding on that universe. Let me ask you a quick question about that, Wolfman. So, um, if I'm not mistaken, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but the original Suspiria from 1977 is like an hour and 32 minutes. Uh, But this runtime, I believe, is two hours, 32 minutes. It's like an additional hour long. um, But there's so much more story. So, like, yeah, I mean, I I think you could be like, look, that's going to turn. Some people just hate long movies. I saw um, Keith Holt. Keith Calder, is that his name? Who's uh, a pretty well-known horror producer. You know, he did like The Guest and a million other movies. I, I can't think of off the top of my head right now. The Devil's Candy. Um, he's a he's very popular on t- film Twitter. People love mm-hmm. uh, his comments on Twitter. And he recently put some comment out there that said, if your movie is good, it could be 100 minutes. If it's decent it could be 90 minutes and if it's bad it needs to be 70 minutes or some something like that mm-hmm. and i hate that kind of comment like i i just feel like <laughs> it's i why limit that if i if i'm enjoying something i want more of it like you know i remember this happening when the lord of the rings extended cuts come out which aren't my favorite movies because i'm not a fantasy person generally but i love those extended cuts way more than, than the original cuts. Cause I just, if it's good, if it's d- well done, then I don't, why would I not want more? You know, if it's working, if it, when it stops working, then cut it out. But for me, this, this movie worked for me the entire time. I don't, I, yes, it was long, but I didn't feel the weight of that during my viewing. I felt like I was mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoying myself the entire time. So what about you then? Allison as a Suspiria purist, or at least the original and a lover of Suspiria 1977. What was this a bastardization of it since or, or not? How did you feel about it? No, you know, when I first heard that it was happening, I had a lot of reservations because when you mm. love a movie dearly, you're like, Oh God, you know what, what's going to happen. And so I always told myself, well, it doesn't, you know, somebody, taking a a story in a new direction doesn't erase the great film that already exists. Like you already have that film and it exists and whatever people make beyond that might be great. It might not, but it doesn't take away from 
your enjoyment of something you already love. So, you know, I just uh, told myself internally, well, like, let's see what happens here. And I, when I first saw the first poster, it was just a big red S. And I think I made a joke about the S from hell short because that's what it reminded me of. (laughs) But then all these really gorgeous and interesting posters were released after that. And I I was looking at images from the film and I was trying not to get too many things spoiled. Um, But I was, I was pretty intrigued and, and I have to say we, we saw it two nights ago in the theater and, um, and it was a fairly packed theater for a Monday night too. Um, I, I don't love it more than the original, but I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. And I, really think it's intriguing how um, they took a film where the visuals and the sound are dialed up to 11 and just popping at you. And they went in the opposite direction, not just visually, but with the soundtrack as well. Like the soundtrack is Mm -hmm. so much more subtle and muted compared to that Goblin score. And, but it really works for the way they're telling the story. Tom York of Radiohead. Yeah. And yes. I, I really, I really felt like it, I feel like it served the story that they were trying to tell um, this version of Suspiria. I think it worked really well. I think um, the colors and also it's just a really interesting time in, in history and European history and also just in Berlin. And I have a soft spot for Berlin. I've been there a couple times and had some friends living there and I just, I think it's a really fascinating city. So I enjoyed the change in locale. Um, and I enjoyed, you know, some of the, the street scenes and things. And, and I, it's, it was just, it was a really interesting time in which this movie is, is taking place. And I, I liked the layers that they worked in with the story. I also felt like, um, there were, there were some nice little nods to the original that I felt like weren't mm-hmm. beating you over the head. Like there are these moments where you'll see some of the women that are teaching in the school that are members of this coven and you'll see them from a distance kind of, they look like they're cackling and kind of conspiring. And then they'll just catch the eye of the camera and look at you. And there's some moments in the original where some of the school staff is just giving Susie Banyan this creepy eye. And it's almost kind of Lynchian mm-hmm. in the way it's shot. And and I really felt like mm-hmm. those scenes were little, just subtle callbacks to the original, but very intentional. And I really appreciated that. And I, I liked... I mean, oh, those dance sequences were amazing. And I, I really loved incredible. that was fleshed out. Um, mm-hmm. You actually get to see in the original, the the witch aspect is talked about, but you don't actually get to see that much happen. Like it's kind of implied, but you don't <laughs> actually see any overt ritual taking place you don't get to see even just like a gathering of the coven really um in in except for in a really small part and in this the members of the coven and like differences they have within the coven are really fleshed out you get to know a lot more about what's happening there and how the school works and then also just the planning of the dance and um the history behind it and it's i really appreciated that i thought it i thought it was a great fresh take on the story and they took a really simple story and they added all these layers to it and made it really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, well said. Now, okay, so, so here's where I'm coming from. Like a couple things. The casting I thought was was very good. I was actually impressed with Dakota Johnson. 
Um, I mean, I like her as an actress, but I haven't seen her, at least that I can recall, do any like heavy lifting, so to speak. Yeah, you know, not that I, I just didn't know if she could carry this, but I felt like she did a fantastic job. But, but of course, Tilda Swinton is, uh, <laughs> she's, she's incredible. And, and casting her, I think, is a stroke of genius. Um, well, this is like her fifth film with this director as well. So. Right, right. So it's like, you know, a given. And, you know, you have Chloe Grace Moretz in this. And, um, I mean, it's just a, a fantastic Mia Goth, who's amazing. Um, wow. She she makes some very interesting choices in her career. Yeah, and, great. And, I, and I like her a lot. So now, and, and I'll tell the horror fans out there, I, you know, I feel like this is an art film as well. But I do feel like this is some pretty ferocious horror when it gets around to it. I mean, it is ferocious. And like, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know how the, and all this is a little pun, so forgive it. But like, you know how like in the original Suspiria, you know, it's, it's ballet, right? But, but um, this has breakdancing. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Anyways, I knew that would go over like a lead balloon, but <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm always laughing on the inside, James. Right, I know, I know. For those who have seen it, somebody out there will think that's funny. But no, so so there is a there is a, a cross cut dance sequence, which I won't describe. But I I just want to say generally about that. Here here's my experience with this. I'm watching this cross cut sequence, and. It is horrifying, like utterly, like it is genuinely really scary to me and, and, and very upsetting and unsettling. And I feel troubled and disturbed and, and it goes on and on and it keeps going. And, and then I get to the point where like at the apex of this, I feel like, oh man, this, this, they are really, um, afflicting me with this because I don't want to see this anymore. I don't want to see this keep happening <laughs> and it keeps happening. But then something really weird happened. It kept going and going. And then I'm like, Oh, cross the line. Now it feels like parody. Now it feels like this is going to show up in the next scary movie. <laughs> they're going to oh, be, making, they're going to be ripping on the, uh, <laughs> I know you guys hate it when I say that, but I'm sorry. It, that was my genuine experience where I was like scared and then I felt like afflicted and then it just went too far. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, I just, but I admire how well that, that sequence is done and it's very, it's very upsetting and, and I won't go into any spoilers whatsoever, but I'm just going to say on the big, on the big showdown toward the end, the ending sequence that everyone will remember and talk about, mm-hmm. um, that is you know, truly nuts and, and, and crazy. And there's a lot of scary, not scary, but disturbing imagery in there. There's imagery that like will probably stay with me for a long, for a long time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, but having said that, because you've got this really ferocious horror blended with this art film or this art house like sensibility um it it's a little bit like mandy was for me where it's like okay like is this i I can't quite is this a little bit pretentious is this a little too far like uh, like 
I just feel like my main complaint with this film is it just goes a little too far over the top. But I, I don't know how did I think you're safer to call this pretentious than Mandy, in my opinion. But I doesn't make me like it any less. I think they're going for melodrama. You know, they're going for art house and and the two of those combined, I think, could really <laughs> give a yeah, give off that kind of feeling. OK, what do you say, Allison? You well, can- yeah, I, I I think it's good that you brought that up because I actually I I really enjoyed this movie. And then without getting into any spoilers, when it got to the end, it started to feel off to me and not quite as good. Mm. Like it just um, I really liked what they were saying with the ending I did not enjoy how it was executed. And I do think over the top is a good way to put it. And I didn't Mm. have, I had a similar reaction uh, to what you had when you're describing the dance sequence earlier in the film Mm -hmm. where you're like, Oh, it keeps going too far. And then it starts to become weirdly comedic. I didn't have a reaction to that scene, but I had that same reaction to the ending. Mm -hmm. I, I just felt like, this is going to get parodied possibly. And I, and I hate that I, I went there, but I did, I was sitting in the theater and I thought this film is really, really Even beautiful. And it's slow. Well, I, I just like that. There was this great kind of slow burn element to the first two thirds of the movie. And there were these scenes that were darkly creepy. And then, you know, you'd have scenes that were really disturbing, but I felt like they were really earned. And then the ending, kind of felt a little bit it might have been some of the special effects it felt a little um cartoonish to me in ways and it made me think of other films that i don't want to mention because i don't want to spoil it but it made me think of films i shouldn't have been thinking about Mm -hmm. while that was happening and if you want to talk about it later some other time we'll go into detail because i have a (laughs) lot of thoughts about it and and drew and i had a long conversation about it and we had some specific complaints about the ending and I, and I was a little let's disappointed. Do a, let's do a very short spoiler after we give our ratings. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Topic. Yeah. Um, yeah but I was on, it. I was a hundred percent on board and really pleased with just about every level of the film up until that point. And then I kind of went and it didn't ruin it for me, but I kind of went, you know, I wish this had been executed a little differently. And then I feel like it would have been, more disturbing to me and less i don't know um it just sometimes there's a fine line for me between things that are really disturbing and things that are really funny um and and it kind of went there for me where i just kind of started shaking my head and i was like uh i don't know you know but i loved (laughs) what i loved what they were saying plot wise was happening as far as with the characters like where the story was going was great and so i don't know does that make sense it's like yeah you're on board with the story but then the way they flushed it out was not great Mm -hmm. for me so right i i agree with you jay i I definitely think and i did i I used the word i was like this kind of felt like a parody in parts and that that bothered me a little bit yeah and and the thing is the the weird thing about parody and and Josh you can help me out on this if you if I I'm not quite stepping right on this but the weird thing about parody is if you honestly if you go um just a little bit too far is where something becomes parody but 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 up to that point like it's it's a le- legitimate like 
imitation or a legitimate like depiction you know you know like um and what i'm trying to say very inarticulately is like the horror is there and as i said a ferocious is the word but it's just it's just a little bit over the line and it just falls off the cliff it you know that loses balance and just slips off the edge and so i i don't know i mean is that your experience too josh or not Sorry, I lost you guys. Your entire thing you said, I, you just barely came back in when you said, you said, you can correct me, Josh, if I, and you went out and then you came back and you're like, is that ex- your experience, Josh? And it came back on. <laughs> okay. Well, it was really good what I just said. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I'll, I'll try to say it better and shorter so the listeners aren't driven nuts. Um, Basically, I just feel like the horror is there and and they are swinging for the horror fences but it's just it's just a step too far and it falls off the edge and becomes parody and i think that's why it just takes it a little too far and i just wondered if you had that same experience as well i i see why you would say that it didn't bother me the way it bothered you too um but i'm curious if when we talk spoiler there was i did not love all the visual effects in the movie let me say it that way mm-hmm. that and that for me was a problem but yes. other than that I, I didn't have an issue with it so okay um, and when you say visual effects are you um referring to makeup no i love the makeup okay but okay. there was a little bit of cgi gotcha okay i'm with you now see I love I love that we have been able to talk about this because I'll just be really honest that night in the theater when when this ended and it was one of those moments and I'm sorry to say this sounds like I have a terrible attitude it was one of those moments where I stood up and it was like 11 it was like 12:30 or whatever it was and I and I was at a theater very very far from my home in order to see this and I was like, I really need to reevaluate my life choices because <laughs> I was just, I was, I was so, I, I hated, and I, and I initially, I just want to tell people, I initially hated this film, despised it. Um, Whoa. But, but, <laughs> but let me just say, as I reflected on it over the past couple of days, I, I did gain an appreciation of the things I've talked about already. Um, and, and I started to see a little more and then, and then I know that like, that it's not always wise to, you know, <laughs> steer people to other podcasts, but everybody knows I love the slash film cast. And I don't know if you two have heard, um, uh, Britt Hayes and Lindsay Romaine, they were uh, special guests on the slash film cast mm-hmm. and they revealed, re- reviewed Suspiria with, with Devendra on there. And I was, um, Wow, I mean, they they really opened my eyes as well. It reminded me of listening to Allison at the beginning of the show as she was talking about witches and so forth. Um, <laughs> there were things that they obviously got from this film that I did not get. So honestly, a lot of this film was lost on me. I'll just be perfectly honest. It was like over my head. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And why are what is happening here? And there there's even um, there's a transition if you can call it that, where it's like, what? Like, what is happening? I I don't know. Like, because it was so disorienting or alienating to me personally, 
I think that's why I initially had a violent reaction. But um, just what are your thoughts, guys? Sorry, I'm just rambling. Well, can you actually expound upon that a little bit? Because I would say most of the things you'd said about the movie thus far were, I would say, pretty positive, other than the it maybe went too far in the one scene. So mm-hmm. what made what were the things that really made you hate it? Well, I of course, I mean, similar to... I mean, I, I do feel like the slow burn, I, I you know, it's too long, but like that's a weak criticism, right? You know, to complain about a runtime and, and it's like too slowly paced and, and so forth. But I, but also where it ends up and you're like, okay, well, how, how did that happen? And, and where does that come from? I mean, it's very difficult to discuss, but, but we, we have, we have a, a, a revelation, let's just call it by the end. Or, or a surprise you might call it, or maybe you weren't surprised. Maybe maybe uh, Allison was there the whole time. But I'm like, what? Like, what are they doing right now? So it was just, it was very confusing and disorienting to mm-hmm. me and just tough to follow. I suspected something was going on. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be, but I think, mm-hmm. I okay. thought it was an interesting way to, yeah, I thought the way they dealt with it was pretty fascinating. Okay. All right, Allison. Anything else you want to say before we go into the ratings and then talk some spoilers? Um, I'll, I'll just say that I most of the film I really appreciated the way it was executed, and and it was enough so that I would be really interested in seeing if this team of people wanted to tackle two other mother mother films. So if they wanted to do, probably not inferno per se is like a direct remake but do something about um i'm trying to remember what the name of all of the different mothers are but there's the mother of darkness and the mother of tears if they wanted to do a film for each of those with a treatment and relating it to this first film i would definitely go see it in the theater and i'd be interested yeah i heard i heard rumors that he was interested in connecting this to mother of tears um and i also heard rumors that he was interested in a prequel uh, with Tilda Swinton's character. And I think um, the film was yeah high quality enough that I would definitely be interested in seeing what he wanted to explore. If the money was there for him to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how this is doing. I don't know if you guys have seen that at all, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, don't I mean know. the the theater I was in, it'd been showing there for a while and it was a mostly packed theater on Monday night. Um, but yeah. you know, it's, cold gray Portland weather. So there's not really much else to do but go to the movies anyway. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that's a good gauge. I don't even know. I haven't looked at box office numbers or anything. I haven't heard anything other than just, you know, Halloween 2018 smashing all the records. Right, so. right. Yeah. Well, and the fact that it's not wide yet, it'll probably be hard to get a sense of it. Right. At this point, but yeah, I think it's been rolling out since the end of October, wider and wider. So, two last things. I'll I'll lead this into my um, rating on this. Um, <laughs> number one, I was shocked, and I mean shocked, to hear people. I, I've heard various people complain about Tom York on the soundtrack for this, and I was astounded by that. I I thought his. I mean, I, I'm a Radiohead fan. I'm not like a, I don't have every song, every word of every song memorized, but I really appreciate um, Tom York and Radiohead. And the thing is, I, I dated a gal once who was, uh, 
a huge Radiohead fan. And so I don't know if it was because of this or what, but but their music really bums me out. And so I can't listen to it very much because it's, it's, <laughs> it's so melancholy. And I don't think it's because of the, the X or anything, but I do think that um, even when I was dating this person, I'm like, this music is beautiful and incredible and mind-blowing. But I cannot, I cannot handle it. My heart is just too fragile for Tom York. Anyways, he, I thought that he, it was an absolute perfect choice, a revelation to have Tom York do the, the music for this film. I loved that. So truly, I did. So I just, I want, I wanted to throw that out there and say I was not disappointed whatsoever. And um, you know, I put it right up there with with Goblin there for the the original uh, film. But so this made 184,000 its opening weekend, but that's only in two theaters. Okay. <laughs> so that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's currently in 311 theaters and it's made a, nearly 2 million in 300 theaters. So, I mean, that's not a ton of money for a film like this, but it's also a pretty small release so far. So, right. Um, if you want to compare that to Halloween, which had its widest release at 3,900 theaters, um, this is far smaller market. Well, here's, here's what I do when I try to judge something like this. I I've already reviewed this on movie podcast weekly. (laughs) And, and I just think about what would Carl and what would Andy, Andy likes horror films, by the way, what would Ryan think of this? Like, like I try to think of what would the average person off the street who's not necessarily a horror fan think of this? And that, and that was my rating over on Movie Podcast Weekly. I, I gave it a, a four out of ten. I'm sticking with the four. In the four, all four points are for um, the horror. I like the horror when it comes, and and I love the the cast. They do a fantastic job. But I, I told Movie Podcast Weekly audience, who's, you know, all genres, not, not a lot of them are not horror fans. I told them avoid because I think someone like Carl would detest. I, I, I don't even think he would sit through it. I think he would get up and ask for his money back if I had to guess. But I think for horror fans, it's still a four for me. But I do think it's a one time watch for horror fans, at least because of the um, the the horror moments that we've talked about, particularly with the cross cutting and then that wild stuff at the very end, when it goes a little overboard. Um, I still think that a horror fan should at least see this in 2018, just to have the experience and, um, and go on that ride, so to speak. But, but for me, honestly, I, I did not enjoy this film. I do not like it. I actually prefer, (laughs) I prefer the original film. I prefer Suspiria 1977, believe it or not. So this is a four out of 10 for me. I think it's a movie you've dogged on more than any other movie in the history of this podcast. You prefer to this movie. That's right. And I, and I feel like, and and a big reason is I feel like this thing is just pretentious and it bugs me. So anyways, uh, four and one time watch for horror fans. Okay. Wolfman Josh, what do you rate it? I'm really in from what you just said, because you were so I would have guessed you were very positive on this movie (laughs) based on the first 10 minutes of your review. Um, So you I feel like you've done a complete 180 trying to appreciate it. 
and, and yeah. point out the good stuff. Well, you pointed out a lot of good stuff. I mean, there's a lot. There's lots of more to love. You know, so it may be a little bloated, but it's there's more to love. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating because I haven't really um, delved into people's reactions of this film. I started seeing reactions from festivals, and people seem to generally like it. Um, if people are reacting the way you are, I'll, I'd be surprised. I thought this was really well done. I think it's one of the best horror remakes we've seen of a classic film. Um, you know, I think those there's always trepidation whenever someone tries to step on hollowed ground, like Halloween or, you know, the thing or whatever. And this is, I think one of the better horror remakes we've seen. Um, Okay. Is it pretentious? I think you could argue that. Is it overlong? I definitely think you could argue that. So I will give you both of those points. Would a general moviegoer listener of Movie Podcast Weekly like it? No. <laughs> but if you if you like horror, and if you especially if you like the original Suspiria, and I think is absolutely worth seeing at least once because it is a fascinating take on the original material. If you are an art house fan, I think this is like a must watch. I think this is one of the better movies you're going to see this year. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I'm really high on this movie. I, as I mentioned, I, I give the first one a nine. I was considering going higher with this. I think I'll probably just give it a nine as well because of the reasons we've talked about. It is a very melodramatic and a little bit pretentious. That's fine. Um, I'm going to give it a nine out of 10. I think this is a seat in the theater and I'm absolutely 100% buying this. I think uh, there's so much artistry on display here. Cool story, cool historical, like an actual real historical setting that enriches the genre elements that we've been presented with. Man, I love everything that they did with this, you know, so, and I love seeing horror get the respect it deserves so having a guy who is a well-respected mainstream albeit still art house but you know oscar-winning director take on this material and for it to be good in my opinion that's like about as good as i could have hoped for so Mm. yeah nine out of ten buy it all right thank you and uh what do you say horror unicorn allison with a y well, I think we've been getting a lot of high quality horror films in the past several years. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think so maybe because we've been so spoiled is probably why I nitpick at some parts of this, but I do think, I think it's a good film. I think it's a continuation of the trend we've been getting of these well thought out high quality horror films. And I think that, um, it, you know, if you do, really enjoy the original it's definitely worthwhile to check this one out especially if you're willing to just you know let go of your attachment to i need this to be you know a certain kind of suspicious story just open yourself mm-hmm. up to this is a new take on the material um it doesn't try to outdo any of the amazing aspects of the original it definitely tries to go in its own direction i think the muted color palette and the softer soundtrack really work for the story it's telling. Um, and I think the performances were amazing. Um, 
because oh, I yeah. had some issues with the ending, I'm going to come in just slightly lower than Josh. I'm going to give an 8.5, but I would say definitely see it in the theater if you can. Um, and if not high priority rental for sure. Okay. All right. So you're, so you're not going to end up buying this then. Well, I'm, I'm kind of, I just bought a bunch of DVDs from Dave. So I feel like a weirdo (laughs) saying that, you know, I'm picky about what I buy. He had a lot of great things that I was just like, why do I not own this? And Drew, Drew's into collecting as well. So I just, I'm, I'm picky about certain things that I buy and I, I have to really love it. And it didn't make as much as I think it's a really quality film. It didn't grab my heart the way the original does. And so I own the original. I'm happy to have that. But like I said before, if they decide to flesh out this whole trilogy again in this new way, I would love to see that. And I would definitely pay full price in the theater to see that. So, okay. Excellent. I want to just read some listener comments since we have a pretty divisive reaction, I guess, from the panel here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I intend to do this every week, but I just forget 90% of the time. So I'm just looking on Letterboxd. And if you want to connect with us on Letterboxd, I usually look through my friends and Dave's friends to find our listeners. But um, David Fear and Dave Zygert and... Redcap Jack are among the lowest responders. And now th- they grade out of five on letterbox. So I'm just going to extrapolate that and, and do it out of 10, but okay. David fear gave it a four out of 10. Dave Z gave it a six out of 10 and Redcap Jack gave it a six out of 10. Those are the three lowest ratings from our community that I'm seeing here. Mm-hmm. Um, Dark Mark gave it a seven. It looks like Amanda Williams, a seven. Oh, Graham, the Haunted Marshmallow also gave this six. Um, Dino gave it a nine. You would, Dino. John Watkins gave it an eight. Yeah. Edward McKenzie gave it an eight. Keith Christian gave it an eight. Jody Horgai gave it a nine. Dave Gifford gave it a 10 out of 10. Juan gave it a nine. And just to check out some of the reviews here, um, Jody Horgai says... This is so good. I love this. There's a part of the movie Tremors where Kevin Bacon yells out, what the hell is going on? I mean, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, it's like that. <laughs> yes. So that, that's what that was Jody's reaction. So it sounds like similar to yours, Jay, except for he gave it a nine out of ten. So <laughs> not everyone. That's not negative for everyone. <laughs> right. Right. Um, Dave Gifford says, truly one of the most creative and technically impressive movies I have ever seen. A masterpiece in every sense of the word. Suspiria fans rejoice. Now there are two tens that share the name Suspiria. So, so I, uh, okay. I appreciated that. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want to chime in and say, of course, yes. Technically, as a film, like filmmaking, it's exceptional, right? Like as a film, yeah, the technical prowess. There's there's nothing that you can I mean, Josh, did you see anything that you could gripe about like from a technical perspective? I guess if you if you thought it was overlong than the editing, but other than that, no, okay. I thought it was uh, yeah, and I didn't love all the CGI. I will say the CGI element was not the best for me, but I thought the makeup was impressive. I thought the cinematography, as I said at the beginning, was a masterclass. I have seen people I've heard people say that the Tom York score was bad. I've heard them say it doesn't fit very well. Wow. Um, the film, wow. but uh, 
but I have never, I haven't heard anyone say it was bad. Uh, I thought it was great. I think that it worked better at some moments than others, but mm, okay. Yeah. And some, I think in some cases, a couple of cases I can think of off the top of my head, it, it really added a lot to the movie actually. Yeah. And I saw an interview with him talking about how he was influenced by Goblin's score because Goblin has so many repeating elements in that Suspiria score. And he thought of it as a spell he was trying to cast, like to repeat these musical cues. And I thought that was a brilliant way of approaching it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's an artist. All right. A- anything else from the listener feedback? Um, I can read more of their reviews if you want. Find some negative ones. Uh, Dave Z was lower on the film. He says visually interesting, but devoid of any scares. Amazing performances by Tilda Swinton too long by about 45 minutes. <laughs> I really wanted to like this, but ultimately it was too bloated. I, I don't know about 45 minutes. I mean, I guess you could say that at a movie that's two hours and 30 minutes long, but I don't feel like there was 45 minutes of stuff. You could easily lose out of this movie. In my opinion. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I also don't know if I would say it's devoid of any scares. I think it's pretty brutal in the places that it's brutal. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. All right. Well, that's our spoiler-free section of uh, Suspiria 2018. But um, listeners, if you don't want to be spoiled, we're going to talk just for a a few moments about this. And um, so, you know, tune out. But uh, Allison... I want to kick it off with you, and I don't I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I just want to know, will you explain to me what the hell is going on at the end of this? Because how does, I mean, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Dakota Johnson is, you know, my my understanding well, It's not least, all of a sudden. She was the whole time. Well, right, right. But sure. I, but that, tra- okay, and, I, and I, I did understand that they were saying, okay, that was her all along or whatever. But what what is it? She was just in a young, like, explain to me that whole, I guess, what's the explanation behind how that worked? Well, I think, I think you had two things going on simultaneously. Um, you had uh, the character of Helena Marcos, who in the original Suspiria, is just basically treated as as the mother Suspiria. Um, there's like a, the Latin word for the mother of size. Anyway, she's supposed to be the mother of size. It's not questioned because it's a much simpler story. And in this, there's kind of talk early on in the film amongst the different witches about, you know, they're trying to decide who to follow. If uh, Tilda Swinton as Madame Blanc is going to be the new leader of the coven and they take their that vote and before they take the vote they're talking about how they want to um find this vessel so that helena marcos who's in this decrepit old body can have a new body so basically some kind of soul transference was supposed to take place in this ritual that happens at the end Mm -hmm. and there's debate early on of like well if she was really the mother of size then she would be so much more powerful and she wouldn't need a soul transference. She wouldn't be decrepit and aging like this because she would just have that much more power. So there were seeds of doubt about whether or not she actually is one of these three all-powerful mothers, which is from the original mythology that uh, Dario Argento and Daria Nicolodi came up with. And Mm -hmm. um, 
so these witches, these three witches are supposed to be immortal with, you know, immense powers. And, you know, eventually they get taken down in the films, but they are supposed to be these really powerful beings, like the original witches, you know, according to this mythology they created. And um, so they're doubting that this Helena Marcos actually is this because she's so decrepit. And then at the same time, we see these scenes of Susie Banyan's childhood where she's growing up in this strict, um, were they Mennonites? We were trying to decide it. Were they Mennonites or Amish? I, I believe they were Mennonites. That's what I but, thought. Yeah. So she's in this Mennonite household and, you know, any of her natural urges, any of her natural inclinations are considered sinful. It's, you know, she's feeling very oppressed, but at the same time, she's feeling a strong, powerful draw to have to be, have to get to Germany. She knows she has to be there. And so it's kind of like, she's being called to this destiny and there's little hints at it. And there's a point where she's having her nightmares and she sits up in bed and she yells, I know who I am. It's subtle. It happens quickly, mm-hmm. but it's there. And so it's like, she's having this journey of self discovery and she seems really at home more and more with what's taking place at the school, even as it gets really, really dark and twisted. And I have to say the horror in this is so much more realistic. You know, the blood looks real and like the, body contortions and the things we see so much more disturbing and not shot to make the horror look beautiful as in the original. Um, but she, and then she's, she's basically, you see these scenes towards the end where like this light is coming to her and it's like, she's coming into her own and she's becoming ready to like become the embodiment of this, this entity, which is the mother of size and the mother of size is really angry at Helena Marcos for basically pretending to be her and being kind of like this false God for the coven Mm -hmm. to worship as this mother. And so that's why when her real nature is revealed, she goes and she systematically takes out everyone who was a supporter of Helena Marcos. And actually that all really worked for me. Like that whole story and that twist, on the original story, okay. I thought was really cool. Um, Especially I, because it repurposes Susie and I love as a remake that it toys with people so fam- who are so familiar with the original. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, Susie's our, anti- our protagonist. And then to have that switch is really fascinating. And I really think they earn it because I think they show you in little ways along throughout the movie that she going belongs on with her, here. Yeah. She belongs yeah. in this place. She is not there by accident. And she's kind of cool with what's happening. Like Drew mentioned this when we left the theater. He said, you know, a big tip off for me that something wasn't right was when there's a scene where she and Sarah are snooping in the office. And then she catches a glimpse of another room where some of the witches have a police detective like stripped from the pants down. And they're basically torturing him and poking fun at him and humiliating him and doing horrible things. And we were talking about the difference between the two characters. If Sarah had been the one to see that, she would have flipped out and left and been like, I'm done. I'm out of here. But Susie just kind of grins and looks interested. Mm, and yeah. that's not the Susie Banyan from the original movie right. is very much in terror when she sees all these horrible things happening and decides to put an end to it she's not at all at home there. She doesn't feel like she belongs at the school. She's not drinking it all in. Like it's like a, a homecoming at last. And that's this Susie Banyan is, you know, this is 
this is what she always wanted. It's her dream. Well, I so. always, I always interpreted the original because there's so little story there and you can kind of put your own meanings on it. I always interpreted the original as though Susie was maybe a, this powerful young witch, like a Harry Potter type who like didn't really understand the extent of her power because you get that, that scene in the original where the, the cooks who work there, like the caretakers of the, of the school kind of flash that light in her eye, you know, and they're like, witch, you know, like, like, and we hear in, in that film, um, Helena Marcos say, you know, we have to get rid of this American and then we can like go through with our, our plans. And I just thought, okay, so maybe she's, a threat to them for some reason. Like, why are they drugging her and no one else? Like what, why is this happening to this specific character? And I was, I don't know, for some reason I always took that as like, she had some kind of magic of her own that was a threat to the coven. I could definitely see that. And um, when I was rewatching the original, I noticed in the beginning when she first sees Madame Blanc and Madame Blanc's like, Oh, this is the new dancer. She kind of looks her up and down and gets this kind of concerned look on her face. And it's mm-hmm. such the opposite of when Tilda Swinton as Madame Blanc sees Susie Banyan for the first time as played by Dakota Johnson. She looks at her and she's like, I think this is what we've been waiting for. Like this girl's yeah. got a power, but it's not a power that's in conflict with who this coven is and what they're about. It's mm-hmm. like right. something in line with that. And, um, and also because there's all the, layers of you know political issues within the coven it's you've got this madame blanc sees Susie as in line with like sort of more of the natural will of the mothers rather than you know trying to usurp this leadership and say you know like helena marcos being like i'm this person even though she's not right wow well (laughs) that was very very well done alice thank you for the explanation it actually helps me appreciate the film more and I don't know if I'm dense or what what it was but I just I was not getting all that so let me ask one follow-up question then if you don't mind because you seem to have a really good handle on it what so was she did she end up in this young form again is that just how she do they basically just retake um this mother of size or whatever does she retake a youthful form so she can kind of renew every, you know, 70 years or whatever it is. Is that how that works? I think so. I mean, it wasn't explicitly said, but I kind of felt like when you see this, this like sort of light being or some, there's some sort of like weird light that's hovering around Susie towards the end of the film. It almost made me feel like, um, like, the physical body was somehow separated from like the soul in a way because it had been reborn. And because the body was in the United States, it had to get to where the power base was because in the lore of these three witches, which isn't really explained explicitly in either movie, but the, the buildings that they inhabit are part of their magic and part of their power. So that ballet school in Germany is the home of of the mother of size, like that's her power base. And she draws from that. Like in, in the end of the original Suspiria, she, when she vanquishes Helena Marcos, who is the mother of size, the ballet school implodes. Um, Cause it's connected mm-hmm. to her. 
So I think I think it's like a weird esoteric thing where it's like the body and soul had to reunite and that maybe like a new body is born every generation or something along those lines. Well, but they don't really they say re- that. Yeah, and we know they need that to regenerate because that's Helena Marcos's plan this entire film essentially is to find this body that she's going to re-inhabit. What we don't realize is that she is actually not um you know the mother of size that it's actually Susie. And you know, when we have that scene that Allison talked about where she's like, Oh, I know who I am, it's kind of like she showed up in the wrong continent and had to like get back to where she could take her role again. But yeah, there's something about regeneration and that them needing to they want to carry on um having to rehab you know inhabit different bodies basically. I gotcha. Yeah, so the all of the above, all these things that you've talked about and talked about very well, I might add. Um, those were all reasons why I was so lost because I, I just I was not following. But but thank you for straightening me out on that. All right. Anything else you want to say? Watch it again. We should watch it again this week. Yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I I would be I would be up for that because honestly, in in the last couple of days as I've thought about it, I have come to appreciate it more. And in that the, again, that slash film cast in, you know review was pretty impressive. Those two ladies. So what, can you give us an example uh, for those of us who aren't going to go listen to the slash film cast? What okay? Um, <laughs> what are some of the points that? Well, well, Brit Hayes, I believe, um, she was she was quoting um, Young, you know, the philosopher, um, a ton, and and and, and uh, they also drew a lot of, um, I guess, see, I'm so inarticulate at this point of the evening. They also drew a lot of like f- feminist um perspectives and and they talked about feminism and how it relates to this film and so a lot of the things they talked about and you know blending in the the philosophy stuff um it was really impressive i'm like wow okay there there's obviously a lot to this this universe and this lore that i'm not even uh tuned into and so and then and then you know it was let's link to it in the show notes uh this last film cast episode Okay, I I sure will. Yeah, it's it'll be worth it'll be worth your time. I think people will enjoy it. Allison, any final thoughts on uh, either Suspiria for that matter? Well, I I did kind of want to mention some of the issues I had with the ending. So the ending of of Suspiria, where they have the big scene where they're trying to transfer um, the soul of Helena Marcos, and they find out, you know, that they've they've been had by the mother of size, and that this was the plan all along. There's so much, it's so over the top that it went from being really creepy and scary for me to being kind of silly. And and that was a big detractor for me. Like I just wish it had been toned down just a little bit to mm-hmm. make it more frightening. Yeah. Um, I, the, the character of Helena Marcos in the end of the original Suspiria doesn't look, look that great to begin with, but you don't see her for very right. long. Like you just right. see her for this brief second. So it's kind of like the shark in Jaws, like it's minimal, so it's effective. And in this, she has a lot more dialogue and she's just out there with her decaying body. And my first thought was, she looked a little Jabba the Hutt-like and it bothered me. And I just thought, I shouldn't be thinking this while I'm watching this. And then when um, different members of the coven were being killed for their allegiance to Helena Marcos and their heads were exploding, 
it made me think of dogma <laughs> and, I just, the, and then and there was also some some earlier moments that were kind of creepy but they were cg heavy and i just thought you know this looks a little bit like it should be in the silent hill game which is a really creepy well-made game but it's not what i want from my right. suspiria film and so yeah. i just thought gosh you guys did it was so meticulously put together in so many ways. And then I just felt like the ending, I don't know if they rushed it um, or they just thought this is going to be awesome. We have to have lots of blood because we didn't have a ton of it beforehand. I don't know. it. And I did appreciate that at least the blood was like an earthier, darker red, more real tone rather than just like the dripping bright red of, you know, the Italian seventies horror mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. But it just, it seemed a little cartoon. It seemed a little animated, and 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 that bothered that bothered my husband as well. We wrote we talked about it for a while. We're like, God, you know, like it just kind of took a little bit of the wind out of the sails for the ending for for both of us. Mm-hmm. And I actually I, I was I listened to your most recent episode, and I happened to notice on the comment boards, and I cannot remember who said this, but they somebody on the comment boards said something similar about this film. Um, they were getting in there. Mm. Suspiria comments early and and they had a very similar complaint. They're like, I love this, I love this, and then the ending was a problem. <laughs> so Yeah. Nice. Wow. Allison, thank you for your comments on this. This is this is uh, I hope all the Suspiria fans out there have feel, felt like they got their money's worth for these these two reviews. I mean, what do you think, Josh? <laughs> you think we've you think you yeah, think we definitely paid. got their money's worth. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because because yes, if it had been me alone solo casting, which I would never do for Suspiria, but I'm just saying I wouldn't subject people to that. I would have been like you know ten minutes or whatever. But I feel like Allison has has given it proper honor and attention, and um, and you you two are both not dismissive or anything. And and I, uh, for the record, I tried not to be dismissive as well. I I. <laughs> there are things to appreciate about both films, but anyways, we've never done this on a versus episode, but I've always thought we never actually like pit the films against each other, actually, you know, and yeah. um, it was something you guys used to do on the considering the sequels podcast for people to know, Jason did a show where you guys would cover horror franchises exclusively and you'd always rate them at the end and decide whether it was dead horse beating and then didn't you? And then you would add up all these different scores for the entire franchise to decide if if the entire franchise was a viable franchise or an example of dead horse beating. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous what we yeah, did. Yeah, it was a lot of different scores. I don't have all those scores, but just adding up our three scores, if if it's out of thirty, you know, if, if we if we had all given it both films tens, mm-hmm. then uh, we gave the first film a twenty five out of thirty. And the second film, a 21 out of 30. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Versus discussion. <laughs> that's right. That's good. Thank you for doing that. So, um, Allison, thank you for being here, too. I mean, it was wonderful to catch up with you again. We always appreciate having your insights on the show. And uh, just love it if you could tell the listeners where they could catch up with um, more of your work online. Oh, well, thanks again for having me. And I was very excited to talk about Suspiria, um, if it didn't show. (laughs) Hopefully (laughs) I didn't ramble too much, but I really appreciate you guys including (laughs) me in this because it is one of my very favorite films and I'm pretty passionate about it. 
And it's always nice when somebody invites you to talk about something you're passionate about. I mean, I'm willing to talk about just about anything, but it's not quite as exciting. It's like, oh, I saw that movie right. and it was okay. I don't have much more to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if people want to check out uh, my podcast that I co-host with my husband and my little brother and a good friend of ours named Chris, um, it's you can check us out at thehauntedDavenport.podbean.com. Um, we've got a little homepage there where you can listen to all our episodes and see photos and show notes and relevant links for all the episodes. Um, we also have a Twitter account for that podcast as well. Um, if you are interested in checking out my artwork, which is my day job, sort of, um, I've been slacking cause Halloween happened and it took up all my attention, <laughs> but uh, you can see my artwork at uh, littlewingfairyart.com and fairy is spelled F-A-E-R-I-E. Um, but yeah, uh, those are, those are my things. We'll, we will put links to all of Allison's stuff in the show notes at homemoviepodcast.com. Yes. That's right. Everybody will be able to find it there. Okay, Allison. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk with us tonight. We we're grateful to have you. Yeah. I think, thanks for having me guys. It's been fun. Real quick, before we move into the next segment, we got to bring on a very special man. We welcome the amazing but subtle Dr. Shot. How subtle. Actually, two adjectives I've never heard to describe myself before. <laughs> amazing and subtle. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was actually an intro of yours um, back on Planet Macabre days, and I always thought that was a hilarious way to bring you in and um it fits somebody, somebody back then called me called me amazing and subtle the amazing but subtle dr shock <laughs> wow i love that I, I always have loved that but anyways welcome dave uh thanks uh, Thank I, I understand that you're going to be joining us for a little bit tonight here for our next segment and i appreciate you taking the time because um i know your work schedule has been quite exciting lately Oh, it's been, yes, it has. Yes, it has. Um, but Hey, you know what? It's, it's just something I got to deal with because, uh, I love talking horror movies and, uh, that's, you know, just the way it is. There you go. All right. And at this point in episode 161 of horror movie podcast, let's move into screaming online. Welcome to our shuttered sponsored Screaming Online segment where we're bringing you three in-depth horror movie recommendations. For those of you who don't know, Shudder is like the Netflix of horror. You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense films for $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year. You'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your devices. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of horror movies with new titles added weekly. We're talking old classics, new hits, and original films and television series. Current exclusive titles include Rob Zombie's 31, which we covered on our Creepy Clowns episode, Channel Zero, which I know is extremely popular with our listenership, Cold Hell, which I've talked about before on the show, Creep Show 2, Downrange, which we've reviewed, Hell House LLC 2, The Abandoned Hotel, which is a sequel to the original film that we covered in depth on the show. Revenge, which we've talked about, Ruin Me, Todd and the Book of Pure Evil, and Wolf Creek, the series from Greg McLean. And released just yesterday on Shudder, we had Dead Wax, which I hear is amazing. I'm going to be checking that out soon. Mandy, which we reviewed last week. 
Shredder has all kinds of cool collections, like Vengeance is Hers and the Alfred Hitchcock collection, and Stephen King Month hit Shredder in December, which includes three of Jay's very favorite films, Pet Cemetery, Cujo, and Salem's Lot. Now, normally on Screaming Online, we bring you one review, good or bad, from any streaming service, but this week, because it's Shudder-sponsored, we've dug deeper, we've done more homework to make sure we could bring you three solid horror movie recommendations currently streaming on Shudder, and each of us are going to bring you one pick. Jay, do you want to go first? Mm-hmm. You got it. So the first one we wanted to talk about is this little film called Satan's Slaves. This is a Shudder original. Now, this is an Indonesian horror film. Okay, now there are two different versions in case if you're not a subtitle person, um, if you're a heathen. No, I'm just kidding. And it, <laughs> I'm totally messing. I know some people like the uh, English dub, so they have an uh, English dub version available as well as <laughs> the, uh, the subtitle version. But Dave, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I actually prefer the subtitle version because... It, you you get the feeling of the expressions from the original actors. Is that how yeah. you are, Dave? Absolutely, okay. I I agree one I agree one hundred percent. Okay, I, I always prefer the subtitle over, um, uh, any dubbed version for that reason and and that reason alone. What you're saying, Jay, is because you're you're not hearing somebody interpreting the emotions. You're actually experiencing the emotions. Yes. Yes. Well said. And so the premise on this, I, well, first of all, I just want to put out there right up front. Usually when a horror film has Satan in the title, I don't know what it is that it's usually, you know, not my thing. And like the, the cover art in this particular one, it isn't necessarily my thing either. However, let me say, this um genuinely when i watched this movie last night this is um one of the scariest movies i've seen in a long time i was i was actually scared and i'm rarely ever scared watching a horror movie now right dave i mean can you back me on that this is a scary one right it it, it definitely is yeah Yeah. i I agree with you (laughs) so so here's the premise um i really like this premise from imdb it says after dying from strange illness that she suffered for three years a mother returns home to pick up her children. <laughs> now, here's the thing, guys. <laughs> I just want to tell you something. I honestly do not know exactly why that's a freaking scary premise. I, I think this is why. Um, so she, this mom in this movie is is bedfast. She is dying. She has some kind of uh, apparent terminal illness, and she's in really bad shape. And, and, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Zelda from Pet Cemetery, which freaks me out. And on a sad note, I mean, if you have ever had a family member who was slowly just dying and deteriorating from a terminal illness, it is very, um, it's very unpleasant. It's very inconvenient. It, it's often like uh, off-putting and disgusting. I mean, I, I know this sounds very insensitive, but it's also really unsettling. And I was thinking about that, guys. And I think the reason for that, and they capture that in this film too, is it, it, it's almost like death is um, a resident in your house, kind of like Meet Joe Black, which is not a horror movie. But but it's like death is hanging out there and, and just waiting to pounce. And and I think there's we, we get a sense of that when we're around somebody who's dying 
even if we love that person dearly. And so obviously you got a house full of kids here. They love their mother, but you can tell right away in the beginning of the film, something's off because when the mom rings her little bell for them to come and help her, none of the kids want to go help her. They're, they're creeped out and, and so forth. And, and so the first thing I want to say, Dave, before kicking this over to you is that I, I think that this film has so many built in horror uh, tropes to it. Like, you know, as soon as you hear that bell ring the first time, you're like, yep, they're going to use that bell. That bell is going to yeah. come back. <laughs> and, and like, Absolutely, yep. I mean, there are so many, I bet you, and, and honestly, I, I would name them all here, but I don't, I don't want to give all of them away what they are, but, but any seasoned horror fan will see there are like seven to 10 things that they pop up and you're like, Oh no. Oh, that's coming back. Uh, you know, it's really freaky. But anyways, Dave, tell us your thoughts on this one. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because you wouldn't look at this and say, and it's for, you know, like you were saying the bell and, uh, and some of the other things, the, the scares aren't the most original because like you said, you can see them coming. They, you've seen this sort of thing before, but yet they're all effective. You know, it doesn't matter if you know they're coming, they still get you Oh yeah, uh, in this movie. And I think it's, it's the setting has something to do with it. I mean, not only is this family, you know, is the house, uh, sort of ominous, but they're right next to a cemetery. Mm -hmm. Um, and also it was interesting cause this is, um, the Islamic faith. Yeah. Which comes into play in this movie. You know, and I thought that was uh, was kind of interesting. Not that the family themselves are religious, mm -hmm. and I think that kind of plays into the situation as it unfolds. You know that they're they're not the most religious of families. Yeah, but they do have that one uh, the the holy man who lives right you know next door to them. He tries to influence the family, say, "Hey, you should really start praying, and uh, <laughs> maybe it will help the situation." Yeah, uh, you have a situ uh, the father leaves, so you have the kids by themselves. Yeah, And it's one of those movies where you definitely dread the night when you see it getting dark, oh, because man. that's when, you know, things are going to start getting real. Um, and they have to go into this. What is that? To, to, their bathroom is like a well house. Yeah, there's a well inside yeah. their house. And you're like, mm -mm, mm -mm, no, like, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so no, no, I'm not. I, I would just go out the window, especially uh, with, 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 <laughs> when things start going and, and all the kids are, the ages range from like near adulthood down to what, five, six years old. Yeah. The youngest, you know, there are four kids. Right. Yeah. And the youngest is a deaf child. So he signs and that that's mm -hmm. really a cool aspect as well. Um, yes, it is. It's so interesting to see that in there, but, but yeah, just a couple of things of what you said, Dave, no, number one. I love films that uh, where like the things that happen in it are, are organic to the story. Like when this father leaves, I mean, they have they have had to pay so much money because um, this mom has been dying and terribly ill for three years. And we learned that she was, you know, a famous singer at one point right. and she has mm -hmm. records and stuff. But but, you know, this is to the point where they're they're low on money. So the father actually has to leave to go find work. So he leaves the kids alone, you know, and, and it's like, you know, that's scary. And then another thing I really appreciate about it, Dave, is 
this begins, this opens with horror in the daylight. Like a lot of times horror films will be just bathed in shadows and so dark um, even when it's light. And I love this film because it it's it's light at first actually. And even though you do have this unsettled feeling, um, you know, the horror starts happening immediately in the daylight. And that's just amazing. That's right up my mm-hmm. alley. But, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and it really is. Um, I mean, there are even some scenes in here that are not necessarily part of the horror that are brutal. And I'm thinking in particular of, of one involving a, a, a truck. Yeah. I know, oh, you know, Jay, man. which one I'm talking about. I mean, they don't, yes. that's that, that could be the most graphic. It is the most graphic moment I think in the, in the, in the movie. Yes. Yeah. And, and it sticks with you for sure. And, and I will yeah. say, um, and in and, and here's the thing, listeners. You you know this is coming. This is not this is not a spoiler because you know it. You're a horror fan, so you know this is coming. But I I think this is the first ever horror movie to use a viewmaster in in, in a horror sense. It which, could be, which yeah, I love. It could be, and you do know because how slowly the <laughs> the kid is like click. You're like. Oh man! You're like, oh, you're just waiting. You're you're waiting for for it to uh to happen. Yeah, yeah. And now now there were a couple. Now okay, I'm just I'm gonna confess here. I I I'm terrible at overselling and getting overexcited on things because because sometimes when I get super excited about a movie, I can't really contain it. And and I'm scared so seldom in a horror movie. I can't even emphasize that enough. But this one really affected me. But there there are a couple moments where like. Like I just about jumped out of my chair and I had to get up and stretch. I had to like breathe. And and then I would keep hearing noises outside of my, the room that I was in. And it really affected <laughs> me that way too. So anyways, um, what, what else, Dave, what else do you want to say about this one? I, I think it's interesting also that, um, the kids, uh, well, the family has, you know, they, they obviously have loving memories of their, of the mother, mm-hmm. uh, definitely the older ones anyway, <laughs> Um, you know, before she got sick, but we, the audience never see her in any state other than near death. <laughs> yes. You know, so, so for, for us, she's just, she's just sort of creepy. Oh man. <laughs> you know, from, from, from the get go. I mean, from, from square one, we don't, and it builds on that. I think, um, you know, for us, whereas the, the, like the, the family, like you're saying, I mean, when that, when that bell rings originally, um, and we haven't even worked out who all of the younger characters are at this point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we weren't sure if they were grandkids of this woman or, or but it turns out they're all, you know, children of hers, mm-hmm. but they're just like, um, you know, they they are, they're just waiting, like waiting for someone else to go to that bell, you know, <laughs> to respond to that bell. Cause those kids are like, I ain't going up there. Yeah. And there, there's a sequence, and and I won't I won't say very much at all about this, but this just impressed me to no end. There's a sequence where you're you're following this character, and you're filled with dread, and you're like, "Oh, that's freaking scary!" And you get scared, and then and then you have um, the same, well, a similar sequence. It it appears to like be replaying the same sequence again, back to back, and the way that is handled is so amazing to me, Dave. I'm like. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because they can really cash in on um, scares and this. I, I just feel like they take, they're very efficient with, you know, th- these people who made this film, I mean, bottom line, they, they know how to 
scare a person, basically. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think it's really interesting how many of the creepy uh, moments are happening to the younger kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To the two youngest ones. And there's also a bit more going on here. I mean, you know, this is, it's, it's, it has that, it's a supernatural, but it's, but it's not just that. I mean, and, and you kind of get a couple of mixed genres in here, mm-hmm. especially in that final sequence. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, you bring up a good point there. This is a children in peril type of horror film. This is a horror happens to those who deserve at least. I mean, these poor kids lost their mother. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, this isn't this isn't the same as Pet Cemetery, obviously, but that's one of my all time favorite horror films, and it's it's my scariest personally, the original Pet Cemetery, and I and I see a lot of. Um, parallels because that that pet cemetery also has a lot of different facets of horror as does this one i mean some of the um translation for the subtitles you know you get the point the entire time you know exactly what they're talking about but i do think like some of the word choices are very interesting you have little kids using bigger words and the word is accurate i mean it means what they're saying but it's like yeah i doubt a kid would say that so that's really nitpicky um the the final thing is i do feel like dave as this goes it gets really exposition heavy and like the characters are talking exposition a lot but i mean like the first half of the film for me is just masterful and even the, like the look of the film, I, I think it looks ex- extremely professional, very well done, and um, it's beautiful that way. And I, I think the performances are good too. So um, we should give a shout out to the director uh, Yoko Anwar, and he was um, Yoko Anwar was one of the writers um, as well. And man, Dave, where where are you coming in on ratings on Satan Slaves from 2018? I would probably, I'm going to give it an eight, a solid eight. And it's definitely a one you should stream. Like you were saying, you, you can sort of see it building and you know, what's coming just from having seen other movies of this ilk, but it still works and it still is uh, very eerie and unsettling. So definitely an eight and it's one you should stream. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, just given the fact that this is, um, it is, it has supernatural elements and I, that's typically not my subgenre. And given that it's, it actually scared me and I haven't been scared by a horror film very often or, you know, lately. Um, this is a nine out of 10 for me. Uh, I bet I'll be talking about this at the very end of the year again. So I definitely say stream it on shutter. And um, if you get a chance to to buy this at some point as well, I think this is worth owning. So, uh, Wolfman Josh, what do you think of this film? Is this something you're going to check out by, after hearing us talk about it? Yeah, it sounds interesting. Uh, the Bell stuff reminded me of um, the book, The Haunting of Hill House, with Nell's character, how her she's always like on call from... Is it her mother? I haven't read that in a long time, but it, that book really unsettled me. And that's kind of what I was thinking about when you were <laughs> talking about yeah. this film. Nice. Um, the other thing I, I did want to push back on is I don't think this is the only use of a, of a Viewmaster in a horror film. I know at least that movie, The Forest, had one, but I, I, I swear there are more. But Really? Really? Okay. So they used it as a horror tool 
I believe so. In oh, the trailer, neat. even it's it's in there. Yeah. Okay, that's neat. That's good to know. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, we should keep track of those because that's pretty cool. I mean, like, if well, anyone compiling a Viewmaster horror list on Letterboxd, <laughs> let us know. We're gonna have go. we're gonna have a themed episode called Viewmaster Horror. <laughs> I sense a themed episode. Boy, a little highbrow for Jay. I don't know. When I when I was when I was a kid, looking at all those you know Disney slides, I had no idea how sinister those things were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> all right, uh, Wolfman Josh, what do you got for us next? So the recommendation I'm bringing is a Shutter original as well. It's called The Witch in the Window, and this is a 2018 film. It is directed and written by Andy Mitten, and it stars Alex Draper as your main character. He is a father of a young boy named uh, named Finn. <laughs> his name is Simon. His son's name is Finn, and his son is played by Charlie Tacker. And um, Simon has been having some marital trouble, and he has a hard time fulfilling his responsibilities as a dad sometimes. And so he leaves and he goes and he flips houses and works as a, as a repairman or a handyman. And um, his wife has fallen out of love with him and they've got this kind of rocky relationship and, and their son, Finn, who's 12 is, is starting to act out against his mom and be disrespectful. And so the mom says, you know, you have to come and pick him up and take him with you on this job that you're doing. So he's, he's purchased this old farmhouse in Vermont and he tells his wife that he's, that it's a contract job that he's just repairing it. But in actuality, he's purchased it when with, as we're told the understanding that he's wants to flip it essentially. So he and his son head up to this farmhouse and it's on some, a beautiful piece of land in Vermont and they start working on it. And you know, there's no electricity and there are, you know, minor repairs around the house that need to be done, things that need to be cleaned out. And they have a scare in the basement where they run into a man down there in their basement. And he says, oh, you know, I'm just an electrician. But I got to tell you, this place is essentially this place is haunted. You know, there was an old creepy old lady who lived at this house and she, you know, she'd always be sitting in that window right there watching us you know whenever would come by and she died in that chair and it took a while for people to even realize she was dead because she would she'd always be sitting in that chair looking at us and <laughs> she sat there without moving for i don't what, what was it dave like three weeks before people realized that she was dead right something and like so, that yeah yeah and so it's got this creepy haunted house type of vibe running throughout but mostly this is a, a family drama and i think that's where a lot of the pain and, and, and terror, I guess you could call it in, in the film lies. It's about a father who just is a bit of a coward and he's, you know, in terms of fulfilling, he's a bit of a deadbeat dad, I guess, and fulfilling his fatherly responsibilities, but he wants so badly to reconnect with his wife and to be able to be with his son and help his son as he grows into a man and he just, um, you know, he's, he's failed many times, I guess, at this attempt. And this is the kind of the latest situation he finds himself in. And there are, you know, some 
well-worn horror tropes here. There are also some very unique, interesting things that they do in this film that really surprised me, took me off guard. I didn't see coming. There are a couple of cool, just the rules in which the way the world works. One of them, there are a couple of things that kind of bother me because it's just, it's not super clear what the rules of this universe are in some cases, but there's another, there are other things like the sleepwalking stuff that I really responded to. I thought, Oh, this is a cool concept. The way that plays out um, in the movie, but I'd say mostly this is a drama with, and you know what it, what it really, really reminds me of is when now I'm not extremely well-versed in Gothic romance, the literature, but when um del Toro talked about Gothic romance as a genre, when he was talking about Crimson Peak, uh, this feels like that to me. You know, it's a mystery. There's supernatural with horror elements. And and that's what this is. You know, it's a supernatural drama mystery with horror elements. And, and I like it. It's a very old-fashioned ghost story, you know, and it feels to me like one that has a lot of heart to it, like Stir of Echoes, to name a more recent film, or The Sixth Sense or The Others, for you know for again more recent films um the orphanage where they have kind of like a the devil's uh backbone there's like a a very human core to a supernatural film you know and i and i thought it really pulled at the art strings i thought it did a really good job with those elements um but yeah that's that was my take on it what did you think dave um, yeah, it, it was interesting. Like you're saying that there is a, a very unique, uh, way that it approaches it's, it's, uh, supernatural, the supernatural elements in that, um, you're right. There don't seem to be any, any rules with regard to this, um, uh, to the spirit. Um, well, it's hard because it's referred to as a witch, right? As a witch. And, 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 and so you're witch, kind of trying but... to figure out like what exactly, how does this work? There was there was one thing in particular about the electricity that I was just like I, I was like okay that's interesting I've never heard this before is this going to you know explain that more what exactly is happening right. in this instance right uh, I also really liked uh, the the all the performances I thought were solid but um, the young the young actor uh, Charlie Tacker I did like him I thought he was really good as Finn. Oh, cool. you know, very believable. Um, and one thing that they kind of build up is that, you know, he, he's, he was, uh, he was lashing out at the mother at the beginning, you know, when, when, uh, when, uh, Simon went to pick him up, um, you know, for, for this, for this getaway, um, you know, the, the kid and the mother were not, they were, they weren't getting along because he was being punished for going on the internet, uh, sort of unsupervised. And you have an assumption of what it was he saw, only to find that it was not what you were originally thinking. And it's funny how the father acts out more uh, or the father is more upset by what actually uh, transpired yeah. with his, with, uh, with his inner, with, um, you know, when he went out on the internet, than than what he was assuming happened. Um, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting too. And it sort of lent itself to the characters um, uh, a lot better, you know, that, that these guys, that these are, I don't want to say sort of, laid back parents, although I guess Simon uh, definitely is because like you're saying, he's, he's sort of, and he admits as much, you know, he, he comes out and he admits that he's a coward. Um, but then that comes, I mean, everything comes full circle, obviously nothing, 
Yeah. It it does it, it plays into the story. Um I really liked the where it went. I, I really yeah. did like where the movie went at the end. And yeah. you're right, that that whole sleepwalking thing, um uh I don't wanna I don't wanna really give too much of that away either, but that uh adds an extra layer of just this ominous uh yeah. sense of when you see this this happening, you're like, wow. I mean I would that's that that's like the most terrifying thing of of of, of all. <laughs> it really is. You know? Yeah. Yeah, this does a good job of staying creepy the entire time, although the actual like real hardcore horror stuff doesn't happen until like the first hour and it's an hour and 17 minutes long. So, you know, like you're really it's really saves the the scariest scares for the very end. But it but mm-hmm. it because of the sleepwalking and the some of the sightings you know, it does manage to stay creepy throughout. And unlike the uh the new Netflix show The Haunting of Hill House, this has things going on in the background in several scenes that you could easily miss if you're not paying attention. You know, there's a scene in the barn of, uh, of the two talking and in the back window, all of a sudden I noticed, Oh, she's in the window. And that scared the crap out of me because I did not <laughs> expect to see her in that scene. And you could easily miss her uh, in, in some of these scenes, you know, because they're just, <laughs> it's just a looming, uh, threat i guess mm-hmm. and it is kind of unclear at times what that threat is um but i but i still enjoyed it a great deal and going back to the kind of that gothic romance uh, example i don't know maybe romance isn't the correct word since there isn't technically romance in this but but there is something about the pain that this father is going through and and wanting to reconnect with his wife and really that pays off i think incredibly well at the end. Like, I think it's actually a very heartfelt film. Um, and I, Alex Draper to me, and you mentioned Tar- Charlie Tacker. I mean, for me, Alex Draper completely knocked this out of the park. Oh, he was excellent too. Absolutely. Yeah, I was, especially by the end, I was really, really loving his performance. And also Greg Naughton, who plays the neighbor. He was a, he was a fun casting choice. I thought he was great. Mm-hmm. I'd never really seen him in anything before. And I thought he was excellent. Definitely. I think, like you said, the whole cast was, was, was really strong. I thought it was interesting though, that what the, um, that what the quote unquote, witch wanted, how she initially went about trying to get it, what she ultimately wanted to happen. Um, the way she was acting almost ensured that wasn't going to happen. You know, if if you think about it, like what she's, what she's saying, uh, wouldn't certainly wouldn't make anybody I know follow those directions. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard again, it's hard to know exactly how this movie works, the ins and outs of how it's supposed to function as a, you know, as a witch, as a ghost, as a, as a element. Um, But I, you know, again, I I thought it was a very nice movie, Mm -hmm. creepy and spooky and, and scary. It definitely startled me on a couple of instances that really creeped me out big time. I, you know, there's a couple, there are a couple of scenes with uh, the son uh, Finn, where he really, he's a very brave young man. Unlike his dad, he's kind of, he wants to w- go into these dangerous situations. So I really liked that. about mm-hmm. his Yeah. He, he didn't, he didn't back down. I mean, he was like, 
No, the father's like, we're not, you're not going back in that house. The kid's like, come on, I want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there were, there was a scene when um, the, the father and the son have both seen something in the house and the father's kind of holding the son back and the, and the son just is the one who kind of pushes ahead and goes to check it out, which I thought was an interesting choice, but absolutely. Anyway, for me, yeah, I felt like this was a really good old fashioned haunted house movie. It had a few new ideas couple of nice twists and turns i would have liked to see more payoff on the setup because i really love the setup and the drama here and i would have just liked to see it go even further i guess you know at the end but but i quite liked it um i should mention this is from the co-director and co-writer of we go on and yellow brick road which Mm. have been brought up on this podcast previously yes those films were written and directed by Jesse Holland with Andy Mitten. And these guys, I guess have gone their separate ways. And uh, Jesse Holland went on to direct the crooked man from a couple of years ago. And uh, Andy Mitten, I guess has has made this film. So uh, hmm. anyway, interesting, interesting directors here. And you well. know what? It's it, that's cool because I've, I've seen, we go on and that's another one that handles um, things very differently uh, than, mm-hmm. um, you know, than your normal uh, quote. You know, well, I'm not going to do quotes again. I do it too much. Uh, supernatural. <laughs> um, you know, so I think that that's kind of cool. I, I didn't realize it was from uh, from the same writer of, of that and Yellow Brick Road. Uh, you know, this yeah. is definitely a, a unique, uh, a unique vision as far as horror is concerned and, and um, I don't know. Right. The, a unique kind of approach to genre that yeah. Yeah, is definitely different. And yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Did you give a rating? I'm sorry. I don't know if you, I uh, know. So uh, my rating, I will give this one a, Hmm. It's hard because I really appreciated the family aspect of it. Thinking about it as a horror film. I don't think it's heavy on the horror. I, I, so I was tempted to go 7.5, but I really, really, love um what this father's going through out alex draper simon so i'm gonna give this one an eight um but i am going to and i am going to call it a stream it but i am going to warn horror fans uh, again of kind of like the hour and 17 minute running time the horror only really amps all the way up at the end there's still plenty of kind of spooky creepy moments before that but um there's not a lot of the full bore horror i would uh I think I'm there with Josh. I think I'd give it an eight. And and yes, there is a lot of of sort of family family drama in the in the first hour. Again, not devoid of horror, but or or horror moments. Uh, but there is a lot of family drama. But I think that that only and, and it but it's handled well. And I think it only works to sort of enhance the horror that happens at the end. You know, almost a, a, not maybe to the level yeah. of like a of, of a poltergeist, where part of the problem is is this horror is happening to these people that you've come to really like. Yeah, you definitely. Know? And I think this will resonate a lot for anyone who's gone through a divorce or has had divorce in their family. I'm, you know, my parents were divorced, and a lot of my friends' parents were divorced. And I've and sometimes you have a really awful person on one side of that relationship, and it definitely happens. People who are abusive and and other awful situations, but many times in the divorces that I've seen, just, you know, from my perspective, you have usually 
two pretty decent people who, for some reason, can't figure out their communication and relationship. And I think that's what you see here with his dad. Like he, he does call himself a coward. He has been a bit of a deadbeat dad, but he's really actually is a, a pretty sympathetic character. I think he's a guy that you're rooting for. He wants to try to fix things. He wants to reunite his family. And I think it brings, and especially with his performance, it brings a lot of heart to that film. And so I don't know. I think people who have had that kind of experience in their family, it might resonate even more. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. (laughs) So Dave says it's an eight and um, is that a stream for you then Dave, I assume? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then again, like with Satan slaves, I mean, they will be also be a buy if they ever become available. And there have been shutter movies that have been, you know, released on, on DVD or Mm Blu-ray. Um, so that one, if if it becomes available, I would pick uh, both of those movies up. Okay, sounds good. Now I have two quick things on this. Uh, the first one is, I know it's titled The Witch in the Window. Do you guys think uh, witches are coming back? Because we're seeing a lot of witch stuff right now. And, yeah, and, and It really is. I've, I've heard that a lot from our listeners talk a lot about how cults and witches are the two big... Um, fads right now in horror and do you think that the witch is is what you know and started it may well be or i don't know it, it, or it lords of be, salem but, <laughs> but, well yeah maybe, I mean, it no. could be but this is one where the the character is sort of called a witch by the locals as opposed to but but then again yeah you're right josh i mean I, you don't know if this is really supernatural or, or what's going on here because there are things that happen even right at the very end where you're saying, well, that's not your typical, that's not your typical ghost. If that's mm-hmm. what we're dealing with here. Right. right. So, mm, yeah, it's, in, and, and if, but if, but if they're going to be handled along these lines, then, and, and like it was with the witch, um, yeah, I'm all for it. I think it's, uh, I think it's great. I'd like to see more of them. And another thing that struck me as really creepy in your description there, Josh, when, when you talked about the old lady being dead for a while in her chair, it reminded me of actress uh, Yvette Vickers, who was Honey Parker in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. She was yeah. dead in real life for nearly a year before they found her. And then there, there's... There, mummified. Yeah. yeah. There are a number of these instances. Like there was a lady, uh, Joyce Vincent was this British woman who was dead in, in, in London um, for like two years before anybody found her. And that that is just... For some reason, that unsettles and disturbs me. Like I can't even tell yeah, you. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. tough. I mean, it, I mean, even even comedian Benny Hill, I think, had died in his chair. He was there for two or two or three days in his chair in front of his TV or something before he was found. And wow, and and it was probably just you know the TV was still on, right? You know, and I believe so. Yeah, and, and just picture that. You know, picture walking up on that scene. That's. That's just so unsettling. <laughs> anyway, well, I love that they incorporated that kind of thing in this. So that sounds good. Okay. And then, uh, Dave, I believe you have uh, one more for us. And uh, tell us about Terrified. All right. Terrified is an Argentinian film. And I'm going to IMDb for this, too, because I think this, this sums it up. Uh, when strange events occur in a neighborhood in Buenos Aires, a doctor specializing in the paranormal her colleague and an ex-police officer. Well, it's not an ex-police officer. It's a, it's a current police officer, <laughs> uh, desire, decide to investigate further. 
All right. So what happens in this in this neighborhood? Um, and we do get some an idea. Like the movie does sort of flash back and forth a couple times. Um, you know, to, to give us a little bit of backstory. Uh, it's this. It's just this small suburban neighborhood, and something something is happening. People, the, there's a uh, a very unusual death at the beginning. This young couple. Um, they're hearing these noises. They're living next door to this guy who's become like a hermit. Nobody's seen him for a while. And uh, something happens uh, to them um, where uh, something happens to the wife and the husband is is brought in. But he's eventually cleared of any wrongdoing because it's not, you know, it was, it was uh, let's just say uh, this is a, something supernatural that happened to her um, that, that caused her death. And he was... Uh, uh, you know, obviously suspected as the only one in the house at the time, but he's eventually cleared by these three. We find out paranormal investigators uh, who who realize that there's something very unusual going on in this neighborhood, and then we sort of go back a little bit as to what happened. Uh, something with a young boy uh, is is what kicked this off, and what and what sort of alerted everybody to it, including these investigators. Um, one of the investigators is a friend of a, of a, I want to say he's like the, almost like what you'd consider the sheriff, the chief of police. Um, and he's, he's called in to, because what, uh, something, okay, let me just put it this way. This, this is a very sort of kitchen sink horror movie. There is a lot going on in this movie, but it's so damn cool and interesting everything that's happening. We get something with, with a corpse that, um, uh, is suddenly unearthed and is sitting at a table. Um, we get, uh, you know, like I said, the supernatural, but there's also Jay, a couple of, uh, what I would consider beastly freaks in this film. Yes. Um, and I'm even in. if you look at the poster for this thing, mm -hmm. you know, the poster kind of gives you an idea. Um, it's interesting because you don't really get an a sense of who the main character is because it's flipping back and forth between these elements. You think, okay, well, initially it's this guy and his wife, and oh no, now it's the three investigators. They've kind of taken at least two of the investigators. They've kind of taken over, uh, but then the police officer gets involved, and it's kind of interesting because he's almost like a comedic character, but not to the point that it's like straight up comedy where he's scared to death. He's never seen anything like this. He has a bad heart. He's like, I'm close to retirement. Just, you know, what, what's going on here? And it turns out it goes across several houses. And what's really interesting is, is it's, a, it's almost like a perspective thing where if you're looking straight on, you see nothing. But if you take four steps to the left, you suddenly see this, this, this creature, this being, whatever it is. So they, they play with that perspective where, oh, there's nothing there. Well, if I look in the mirror, now I see it. Or are you looking across the street in the window? You don't, you know, you don't see anything in the window unless you, unless you move to the right. And then all of a sudden you see it there. So they play with perspective a lot in this film. But then there's really no rules here because a, a lot of things are, are, are going on in this neighborhood that you're just kind of like, wow. And, and it, it, they all do blend together. This is a movie that almost demands you watch it several times hmm. just to get a, an idea of everything that's happening in it. And it's one of those movies 
for me anyway, that I look forward to seeing again and yeah. sort of sort of mining all of its nuances and everything that's happening because you're dealing with with perspective, you're dealing with light and darkness uh, as um, you know, light and darkness uh, for what for what you can see and what you can't see and and is this real? Is this not? Um, it's just so much going on in here, and there's so and there's not not that there's a lot of different stories, not that there's a lot of different characters. I was able to follow who everybody was. I, I I could tell when they were switching a little bit back and forth between you know the time of okay, well this happened in the past because they don't know each other yet. This is sort of how they the, these characters met. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not hard to follow. And it's really just, and it's just, it's, it's several houses in this neighborhood. It's almost like, you don't know if it's underground. You don't know if these houses are connected by some sort of energy, but there's something happening in all three of them, Hmm. but it's different things. It's not just these creatures. It's not just the investigators dealing with them or the, or the people sort of being terrorized by these things. Different things are happening. Um, like I said, you get a corpse that, that, uh, a couple days after being put in the ground is suddenly sitting at a table, <laughs> but yet still very much a corpse. But if you, but then you turn away and you look and all of a sudden something's happened that gives you the idea that the corpse has moved, you know, and they're trying to think, how do we deal with this? Um, you know, the, the, the police officer and then they're trying to say, how do, how do we get this body out of here without stirring up <laughs> and back in the ground? without getting the neighbors all stirred up and who, what the corpse is, is, is it makes it three times more upsetting. <laughs> um, and I don't want to go too much deeper into this, but there is so much happening in this movie and all of it is for me, just fascinating. Um, and I, I mean, if, if we're going to come in on ratings on this, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to I'm going to start at a nine with the possibility of going to a nine point five on rewatch. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, this is one that I I'm hoping and praying comes out on Blu-ray because it's one that I would like to just I mean, and obviously on Shutter you can do this. Just watch it back to back, you know, we'll go boom and then watch it again. You uh, this is a movie where you will continually discover things. I'm maybe a half dozen viewings in where you're going to be coming out, uh, you know, coming up with something that, um, uh, that you hadn't seen before. And that helps, that helps makes that helps make sense. And, and it's, it's, and it's bleak, you know, there's a bleakness to it as well, mm-hmm. uh, that I thought just, just kind of hung over the entire movie. So yeah, this is a, this is a, a, a nine definitely. And it's an absolute recommend. Wow. I le- I like this um these recommendations. I think that's fun because we've we've thrown out a couple of uh must watches for the end of the year, right? Because if as people are compiling oh, yeah. their 2018 end of the year list, I mean, I you know it sounds like a, co- a couple of these are absolutely. Contenders. Now there's, I can I can see some people getting a little frustrated with the movie on a first watch. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I was fascinated the whole time. Yeah. Um, but just because of the different things happening that you can't really, it, it's hard to get a grasp of what's going on here mm-hmm. at first, but it doesn't, I mean, but it doesn't make it any less, it doesn't make the horror elements any less effective, Right. you know, not, not being able to get it. And I think as you watch it 
at least that's what I'm thinking is as I watch it more often, it things will start falling into place. And, and, and it, it really is one that, um, that I am looking forward to seeing again, just to, just to see how uh, maybe more things will, maybe something I might've missed the first time will, will, uh, will help fall into place. Do you know, I'm just excited for Jay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm just excited for Jay to have a potential 9.5 beastly freak movie this year. That's <laughs> seriously. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, 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 it works on that level. It works on a supernatural. And there are, like I said, there are other things. This is another one like Satan slaves. It's kind of bringing several genres. At least I felt it was, mm-hmm. you know, several genres together um, <laughs> and, and doing so very well and very effectively. Yeah. Well, it, you know, who agrees with you, Dave is um, on IMDB under the user reviews. There's a user named uh, Bachito 1996 says mm-hmm. this movie is amazing. Seriously. This movie is one of the best horror films in years, according to Bachito 1996. <laughs> well, <laughs> glad we got Bachito's I, review. I was going to say, I, I, I'm glad like I have him uh, behind me on this one. That's great. I Thank know. you, Bachito. Uh, Bachito 996. Yeah, 1996. That's right. I, I, I didn't, oh, 19, 1996. I thought yeah. you said 996. Yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to confuse him with the other 995 Bachito. <laughs> so, anyways. <laughs> That's terrified. Dr. Shock says it's a 9 out of 10. You can stream it on Shudder. And uh, Dave hopes you can buy this at some point. So, um, yeah, you sold me on. I'm going to be checking that out, especially since it's got some Beastly Freak stuff in it. And for those who are new to the podcast, Beastly Freak just means creature feature of some sort, basically. It's just our word for it. So, anyways, those are three reviews. We made sure that we uh, saw films on Shutter that that you we thought you would enjoy, and because we sure did. The other thing we wanted to say is we we actually spent a lot of time looking for a sponsor that aligns with the interests of our listeners. And so, uh, what can be better than horror movies? So, if you want to support horror movie podcast, then support Shutter. So that will bring us to the end of our special Shutter sponsored screaming online segment this week. Remember, all of these films are only available on Shutter. So if you want to check them out, go to shutter.com slash podcast and use our promo code HMP to sign up for a free 30 day trial. That's S H U D D E R.com slash podcast and use the promo code HMP. Now I don't know. Some of you may already be Shutter subscribers, if you are, you can still give Shudder a shout and let them know that you appreciate them sponsoring what we do here. Anytime they sponsor an episode, we're going to be doing a little extra leg work like we did today to make sure you are getting the full benefit of your Shudder subscription. This time we've talked Shudder originals. Next time we might dig deeper into old classic favorites. So be sure to thank Shudder for sponsoring Horror Movie Podcast. We'd love it. So, Dave, I know you got to get going for the night. Yes, unfortunately. So uh, can you tell the listeners where they can find more of your work on the internet? Absolutely. Uh, as always, dvdinfatuation.com. On Twitter at dvdinfatuation. Of course, other podcasts uh, with the Universal Monsters kicking up again in 2019. Uh, we Deal and Led, the Western podcast, and the Land of the Creeps with Greg Amortis, Hadfield Hatchet, Jesse Robbins, uh, Justin Beam occasionally. Yep, and as always, they'll be linked in the show notes for episode 161 here. Dave, thanks for being here tonight, and I hope you have a good one. Thank you. All right, real quick before we move into our review of Overlord, I just wanted to mention, Josh, 
I, I think I wrote to you about this, but it was exciting to me to see that uh, Horror Movie Podcast showed up on a, a top 40 movies podcasts that you must subscribe to and listen. That was at uh, blog.feedspot.com. This is a little blog site called Feedspot. I shouldn't say little. Uh, I'm not saying it's a little site, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um, we are listed on there as uh, lucky number 13 out of 40. I is, think that's appropriate for a horror podcast. That's excellent. I'm, heck, heck yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm like, hey, this is obviously a respectable uh, blog site. And then right after that, I saw, oh, wait, it's got Movie Podcast Weekly at number 14. <laughs> I'm just messing. But then later on, later on, it also has... Um, Retro Movie Geek with uh, Gilman, Joel Robertson, and Peter and the crew over there. And and it even has our buddy uh, Greg Mortis, Land of the Creeps, is in this All top right. 40 as well. So I thought that was pretty Greg, excited. Sean and Dave. You know, I think it's we're flattered to be included on any such list. So uh, we'll put a link for that in the show notes um, so people can check it out for themselves. Really and, you know, last year this time we were, you know, in, in the month of October, there are always... Um, people who don't typically write about horror are putting out horror content. That's, you know, that's a common thing Mm -hmm. this year. Vogue upset a lot of people online. I don't know if you saw this going around. It was everywhere, but Vogue uh, had an article about how 2018 was a bad year for horror. Oh my goodness. Yes. They got shredded by the horror community. Um, But my favorite uh, such tweet came from Fangoria who, you know, Vogue is a fashion magazine. Fangoria is a horror magazine. And Fangoria just quote retweeted their link to their article and said, 2018 was a bad year for fashion, Fangoria. <laughs> I just thought that was perfect. I know. I love that. That was my favorite too. That's the best response. But I, you know, I also wanted to mention, you know, there's no reason to trust Vogue with your, with your horror picks. My fashion choice would be Cosmopolitan because this time last year we were included on on Cosmopolitan's. I believe that was a top twelve yes movie podcast list. So yes, I know. I was amazed. So that was awesome. All right. Well, let's move into our feature review of Overlord from 2018. What is this? A thousand year army. These thousand-year soldiers. What's not in that wall? What do you do with those people? Okay, Wolfman Josh. So when I saw the trailer for this sucker, it opens like um, a World War II, just a war movie, right? I mean, that that's what it looks like in the trailer. But as you continue watching the trailer, for those who did, um, you can tell that this goes in an unmistakable, a definite horror angle because you've got mm-hmm. um, this 
what it appears to be like these uh, mutated freak type human beings who are being experimented upon. Anyway, I'm just giving you my, my general what I thought from the trailer. And that's why I was so excited to see this. And so I did. I saw Overlord and I tell you what. This is a fun time in the theater, and I think this is a film I'll tell people right up front. I think this is a horror flick that people should go support in the movie theater. This is directed by Julius Avery, and I'm just, just trying to think if it stars anybody that you'd recognize. Um, the The lead in this is uh, Jovan Adipo, who's an African-American actor, and I love him as an actor in his character. I mean, he, he does a great job in this. Wyatt Russell is one of the the main characters as well. So you don't really recognize uh, much of the, the cast, but I think they all do fine mm-hmm. job. And the premise is you got this small group of American soldiers. Um, they're, they're going behind enemy lines right before D-Day, and they have a, a distinct mission. Their specific mission is to take out this tower, which will help with, um, you know, the, the rest of the war strategy. And, and so it's a very serious job, and they have to do it. Well, the problem is, <laughs> and this is just the premise still, um, they encounter a lot of other things rather than just enemy fire, but the Nazis are experimenting on people and and doing horrible, unthinkable things mm-hmm. that, that <laughs> that's basically turning them into monsters. Right. And um, it's a really cool blend of, you know, you got a war movie, it's an action movie, but it's also a horror movie. And so it's all those things blended together. Now, I am typically not an action horror guy. Um I don't know why that is. I think it's because I feel like in an action movie, the characters are our lead characters. The people we're pushing for are too empowered. Like they're not as much victims and therefore it's not as scary. But in this, because I find war, you know, the war setting is already scary on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then you got them dealing with these <laughs> unthinkable things that come up. So let me, let me just give you a couple little highlights here. No spoilers, of course. Um, but like in, in the opening sequence, we have um, these guys on a plane and they're getting ready to, you know, uh, parachute into this area where they're going to take down this tower and the plane is under fire. And that is extremely intense. It's very well done. I, uh, I actually have, I know a person who has served in uh, four tours. Um, He's been in combat and seen combat and he saw this film and and he was talking to me about it. Now, I I didn't ask him, hey, is that what it's like? You know, I'm not insensitive like that because, you know, I I try to be respectful of people's experience because I'm sure that he's had horrific experiences. But he volunteered to me and said, he said, you know, that that scene is a little bit, you know, overdone. It's not quite like that, but it does give you a good sense of how scary and, you know, people are getting sick right and left. And, and you're you're just you're in the pilot's hands. You're at the mercy of the pilot's hands and you're just hoping that your plane doesn't get shot out of the sky. And then they have to jump in the midst of that. It is it is really suspenseful and 
when I saw this, I was dead tired. I mean, I was, I, I could barely keep my eyes open as I walked into the theater. But this film, to its credit, this is a great compliment. It, it kept me engaged the whole time, and it's an hour and 50 minutes. So what are you thinking so far, Josh? Are you, is this <clears throat> sound intriguing to you or not? Well, I was interested in this because, you know, J.J. Abrams was attached and it, this is definitely a frustration because it's on my list of if I just had money the like I would have made this movie 10 years ago. Like this is on the list of projects that are so close to a concept I came up with. I can't do my concept anymore. <laughs> list. Oh, man. <laughs> That's but, so terrible. That's, that's a frustration. But uh, other than that, you know, I I was interested in it because of Abrams. There were rumors that this might connect to the Cloverfield universe at some point. I don't know if you're going to talk about that or if that is true or false. Or- <laughs> yeah, go ahead. And 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 I let me just say, I wish they would stop with those rumors, and I wish they would stop collect connecting things to the Cloverfield universe. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I hate that. And I've also heard that Wyatt Russell really evokes feelings of seeing his dad, a young Kurt Russell on screen. Totally. So those are the two things I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. And, and in fact, um, you know, it's, <laughs> I'm so dense and dumb. Like I, I, when I reviewed this over on movie podcast weekly, the listeners are probably going to think I'm an, a total idiot. I didn't even realize that was Kurt Russell's son even though his last name is Russell. And I said on Movie Podcast Weekly during my review, I said, he looks exactly like Kurt Russell. It's so weird. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, is this like a young Kurt Russell? It's such an idiot. Anyways, so absolutely. (laughs) So anyways, I know I don't care what people think. I'm just (laughs) not very quick on the uptake, Josh. But no, this is... um. You know, this is one of those films where if you if you got this horror film from Redbox, you would be very pleased. You would think, oh, I found, I struck it lucky. I found kind of a yeah. gem here. My favorite aspect of it is they continue to keep that mission of taking down this tower. I mean, it, it's basically just a, a story beat. It's like the MacGuffin, take down the tower kind of thing. Um and they're always moving toward that objective, but they keep it so clear in the sights where, and then you get these other like moral problems that come up. It's like, you know, the Wyatt Russell character is always saying, that's not our mission though. You know, we, you know, those, right. you know, but, but our, our hero guy, um, Jovan Adipo, he is, he is like, he's got the heart, you know? And, and so there's, there's heart to this too. Anyways, I feel like I'm rambling, but I just want to give you the the last two points, and that is, I do wish that the monster horror, quote unquote, I wish that that, I, w- I wish we had a little more of that. It, it's like, it's about like a third of the film, basically. I mean, it's like, it's one third part war movie, one, you know, one third part action drama type movie and one third part horror movie. I wish okay. we, we had more of those characters, honestly. So, and, and it is fascinating because we do know from history that, um, the Nazis did all kind of weird and upsetting experimentation on human beings. And so, you know, having that thread in this, that thread of reality kind of makes this creepier. 
But I will say there is a a a main villain type of character who gets pretty like comic bookish over the top. And that's honestly the only place where the film really went wrong for me because he he gets to the point where he's like, uh, you know, the boss in a video game or, you know, he's just, he gets kind of annoying. It's, it's almost cliche or something. And that's a weakness of the film. But, but otherwise I was very impressed with overlord. I think I saw on Twitter that a lot of horror fans were really enjoying this. And mm-hmm. and I had a blast. I mean, I can't even express to you how dead tired I was. And I stayed awake the entire time. And that is really saying something. So for me, this is 7.5 out of 10. I tell people to see it in the theater. And otherwise, I call it a rental once it's out of theaters. Our, our buddy Carl over there, he gave it a 7 out of 10 and called it a rental as well. He's Carl said it, it's an entertaining B movie. So Okay. I think that's accurate. So you gonna you gonna see that in the theater? Yeah. What? Yeah. Just looking at our listeners here, uh Jonathan Watson came in the lowest at a six out of ten. Mm-hmm. Uh Pastor Matt, David Fear, Jody Horgai, and Dino all gave it a seven out of ten. Okay. Coleman and the Mad Satal just give it an eight out of ten. And then at the top of the chart, we have Trey Whetstone and Necromancer Nate, who both give it a 9 out of 10. Wow. It sounds like we're all kind of in the same range there, around... 6 to 9 there. Yeah, yeah pretty close. So, yeah, it's definitely worth your time. I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it, Josh, but I'm sorry to hear that. I would have liked to have seen your version, of course, because... Uh, wait 10 years. Somebody's got money. Bring it to my house. <laughs> we'll make a movie. <laughs> all right. That sounds good. All right, Josh, can you tell us about uh, Slice... It all started when the werewolf came back to town. A pizza delivery boy was murdered while making a routine delivery. Kingfisher Chronicle, can I ask you a few questions? Find the wolf, you'll find your killer. Deny ghost involvement in the killing of Sean Hammerschmidt. Looks like I'm going on a wolf hunt tonight. Your pizza place is a gateway to hell. Wait, wait, so you're telling me that my pizza place is built on a gateway to hell? I've been saying that. What? Never. Yeah, so Slice is a movie that I have been excited to see since the festival circuit. It was getting a huge amount of buzz at the festivals because it stars Chance the Rapper in his first cinema excursion. Nice. And then it got picked up by A24. And my experience with A24 is they're the top of the line in indie film basically they're they're the last couple of years have been acquiring and in some cases producing the very best indie movies that have come out um and so you know just to give our listeners some idea of what i'm talking about here we're talking multiple multiple award winners uh just in 2017 they had it comes at night a Ghost Story, The Florida Project, Killing of a Sacred Deer, Lady Bird, The Disaster Artist in 2017. In 2018, already we've had First Reformed, Eighth Grade, Hereditary, Mid-90s. So they're a pretty, have pretty excellent taste. And so I'm with you. The, co- the combination between A24, Film Festival Circuit, Horror Movie, I was just like, okay, this this looks exciting, and it's a funny premise. Like their poster is a p- cartoon slice of pizza, so I was like, 
this is going to be interesting. Um, I did not love it. I'll just say that. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. This oh. film is directed by Austin Vesley, who is a music video director for Chance the Rapper. So that, there's the connection there. And it's almost like they were talking one day on the set of their music video <laughs> about how much they liked Thriller. And Chance the Rapper said, I'd like to do something like Thriller. And then Austin was like, well, let's just make a movie. Forget a music video. Let's do a whole movie. And that's that's what it feels like, the conversation. Was, wow. With how they came up with this film. Okay. Um, it's a comedy horror film. Comedy first. And oh. uh, it it feels like it's in the universe of well okay so initially it felt like something even like mandy where it was like this is a cultural artifact from the 80s but done you know with all of this fan appreciation kind of a throwback film that we've seen so much of over the last few years and i really enjoyed the first third like during the first third i was like oh this is like an eight and i'm really excited about where this is going mm-hmm. um Ultimately, tonally, it reminds me of a film like Fido or The Boy Scouts Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, those types of films that are funny and set within a world of monsters, but not necessarily scary. And it has um, a good bit of, so obviously a good bit of comedy, but also kind of fantasy as well. So it's not as much horror as it is fantasy. Um, I wouldn't even say fantasy, really. Okay. I would say it's a, I would say it's mostly a comedy within a horror setting. So what you have here is a film in a world, in a world, right? Where uh, witches exist and everybody knows about it. Werewolves exist and everybody knows about it. Demons exist and everybody knows about it. And ghosts exist and everybody knows about it. And in this town, they shut down a prison. And so when they did that and demolished the prison, 40,000 ghosts <laughs> needed a place to live that previously had been living in this prison. <laughs> and so they were dealing with a population crisis in this town of 60,000 humans and 40,000 ghosts. And so the mayor, in an effort to keep the peace, sends the ghosts all to like the poor side of town where they've had a lot of abandoned houses and stuff. And so they create essentially a ghost town within (laughs) the larger city. I like that. And so they're segregated in that way. And then uh, the witches and werewolves have, as far as we know, have all left, but that may or may not actually be the case. And so um, you have this pizza place called perfect pizza. And uh, it's owned by Paul Shear's character and Zazie Beats, who I'm a huge fan of, is one of the pizza delivery folks there, as is Austin Vesley, the director of the movie. And Austin goes out on a pizza delivery. That's not his character's name. That's the actor slash director's name. But let's see. Uh, his character of... Sean goes out on a pizza delivery and we see uh, someone on a motorcycle come up behind him and murder him. And he becomes a ghost. And there, there's a police investigation where these two cops are trying to figure out who killed this guy. And the mayor goes and talks about how 
a ghost may be involved. And so it starts to kind of stir up community mistrust of the ghost population. And then another pizza delivery person gets knocked off. And it turns out all of these pizza delivery people, pizza place are getting murdered and they're blaming it on this werewolf who they, who had previously worked at a Chinese delivery restaurant and all of the other employees at the Chinese restaurant had been murdered except for this <laughs> werewolf who then summarily disappeared 10 years previously. This sounds so, wacky. Yeah. Really. Wacky. And so the police are, are on the lookout for this werewolf. And, um, and meanwhile, the people at the pizza place are trying to decide if they should stay in business or not. And the, one of the go- a ghost who was an employee at the pizza place keeps intimating that there may be a reason that this particular pizza place is cursed and that it may be on some sort of hollowed ground. So mm-hmm. that's the concept of the movie. I thoroughly enjoyed the first third of it, despite it being like, you know, more of a comedy. I was just taking, okay, so it's a comedy. If you like the Buffy, the vampires television show or whatever, you would probably enjoy the world that this takes place in. Um, and so I was enjoying it on that level. Uh, and then it just kind of started getting a little like the quality went down a little bit for me around the middle. And then by the end, I was just like, what? I was oh. pretty disappointed with how, how it wrapped up. I would still say if you like Buffy, you know, if this is currently streaming for free on Amazon prime. It's easy to watch. Um, it It's entertaining. And I, again, I, li- I liked the world that takes place in. I like the cast. Um, I like the premise despite it being kind of wacky. Um, but I, I felt like the execution really went downhill as the film went on. So kind of a bummer for me. And I would give this one a 5.5 out of 10 and call it a low priority rental. Okay. 5.5 low priority. Mostly rental. disappointed. This is a 24 release and I just don't get it. Yeah. It must just because it's chance. The rappers in a movie and they wanted to have the first chance. The rapper movie. <laughs> Maybe. I yeah when I saw the premise of this and everything I'm like oh well that could be fun like I don't know if you remember that it's a terrible film but I love it in a very guilty pleasure way but that that film from 2008 called Gutter Balls I mean mm-hmm. I mean it's it's awful I mean you you feel bad about yourself when you're watching it but there's <laughs> something about <laughs> that movie where I just feel like I'm I don't know. I'm whisked away to some kind of nostalgic good time. That's, mm-hmm. that's what this sounded like slice a little bit, yeah. but, but not quite, not quite what I'm looking for. I mean, I think it is fun. I think it is fun. And I think if you can just take it at that level, I, I guess I started having higher hopes for it as it went along because mm-hmm. it was almost, it started out really strong, I guess. And I just, I just felt like it kind of devolved as it went. Okay, so that's Slice from 2018. Josh says 5.5 out of 10, and it's a low-priority rental. You know, you and I had a very similar experience, actually, um, which is kind of interesting because um, I was on Twitter, and mm-hmm. we all, we all, I think, regard Stephen King as a, a modern master of horror, do we not? I mean, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I, I saw he, he put out this tweet that I'm like, whoa, uh, he, Stephen King wrote, just when you think the zombie genre has been squeezed dry, 
along comes a perfectly amazing film by Dominic Rocher called The Night Eats the World. You made it through everything. And then this happens. think they're secure. Quote, it will blow your mind. So I'm like, well, <laughs> of course <laughs> I got to see that because it's a, yeah. it's a zombie film that Stephen King was impressed with even when he was like, you know, thinking that the zombie thing had been done to death and so forth. And then I read the premise, Josh, and it says, the morning after a party, a young man wakes up to find Paris invaded by zombies. And I'm like, oh, great. So it kind of like opens a little bit like uh, 28 days later or something, yeah. you know. And and this is a, it's a French film. It comes out of France, but it's in English. And to be honest with you, there's not a ton of dialogue in it because here's what this is. Let me just tell you people. And and by the way, if you want to watch this, it's streaming on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. But here's what this is. Imagine that, you know, you got this guy who's, he's survived the initial wave of this zombie apocalypse. And it's it's a lot like Killian Murphy in 28 Days Later where he wakes up and he's like, what the heck, you know? And yeah. so he is able to sustain, he, he is holed up in this... Um, basically this apartment building complex and there are there's so much food and stuff that's in this building that he basically secures himself in there and what the film really is it isn't about zombies as much as it's about this dude just dealing with with boredom and loneliness <laughs> so i mean this is something that our buddy dr walking dead kyle bishop he would probably appreciate this on some like level the battery kind of yeah see i i love it that you said that because i was thinking about that but the battery is like way way better i i was obsessed i love the battery it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. horror films in the last 10 years and some people wouldn't even call that horror but i just love it but this here is just for one thing the guy isn't super um he He's not like, he doesn't act shocked or astounded that, oh, there's an actual zombie apocalypse and everybody's gone. He, he's just pretty nonchalant about it. Also, he's not very scared and, he's, and he makes a lot of noise, so he's not super careful. So there's a degree to which he's not taking the threat seriously enough where I don't feel scared, you know? And like, even though it's not billed as a, a horror comedy, I, I would call it, a horror, a horror comedy with mild comedy in it because the way he deals with zombies once in a while is is more comedic than anything else. And and honestly, like the the real the crux of the film is just this dude being so bored to death and so lonely. And you know, it's ninety three minutes, hour and thirty three minutes, and that's what it's about. So. You know, I love zombie films. I really do. 
And I think it's an interesting premise and everything, but for me, The Night Eats the World, I'm giving it a 5.5 out of 10, and I call it a low-priority rental. What do you think, Josh? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I always wonder when that happens. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the poster here, and I see it played at Tribeca, and IndieWire says, the most innovative zombie movie since Shaun of the Dead. So I guess the question, the only question I would ask you, Jay, based on your review, is did you ever figure out what it was that Stephen King would have thought was mind-blowing or what IndieWire could be talking about when they say the most innovative zombie movie since Shaun of the Dead? <laughs> I think what people are... Um... I think what people are appreciating about it is the fact that he's not, it's not really about him dealing with zombies. It's just about him dealing with boredom and loneliness. Like what would you do Mm -hmm. if you were in a post-apocalyptic situation and everybody's gone and how would you deal with that? And it's like, yeah, that's seen that before. And you're saying even better with the battery, for instance. Yes. And uh, you know, even that concept I think would go better in a short film. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's a lot to stretch out to 93 minutes. One thing that's interesting, though, is um, when right after I finished watching it, I wrote 6 or 6.5 on my paper. <laughs> and, and so, but then tonight I just gave it a 5.5. So maybe I, maybe I should, because that was my initial watch and then 5.5 today. So I'm going to stick to 5.5, low priority rental. Are you going to watch it, Josh? Mm-hmm. Eh, I do like zombie movies and I like zombie comedies. So I I probably will get around to this eventually. Um, I see it is streaming for free on Amazon prime. So mm-hmm. yeah. again, that makes it easy to watch, but it's yeah. not high on my priority list. Yeah. And, and it you honestly, might call it a low priority rental for me. <laughs> and that's, that's what it is for me too. So I totally agree yeah. with you there. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So there you have it. And then finally, as we uh, as we conclude, we did get a voicemail that responded to our uh, our previous episode. And it was just a real quick voicemail from Maurice in Buffalo, New York. And um, I just want to let everybody hear this because it's really cool. And Josh, since you are a Scream expert and you love Scream, all things mm-hmm. Scream, I-, I figured you could speak to this maybe. Sorry if I'm putting you on the spot right now, but here's what Maurice said in his voicemail. Hi, this is Maurice from Buffalo, New York. I heard last episode that, Jay, you were looking for a horror movie with more fluid kills. Well, if you look at the Scream 4 Blu-ray, there's an alternate opening scene where Ghostface kills the two main girls in real-time, uncut, and extremely fluid, fly-in-the-wall style. Why they didn't keep this in the movie? Beats me, but Scream 4 would have been better for it. Peace. <laughs> So, so do you remember when I was talking about the night comes for us and how the action in that was just like, wow. I mean, I'd love to see a horror film done with that same kind of just fluid, like real life violence. Yep. And, and so how do you feel about Maurice's comment? Do you know what he's referring to in scream four there? You know, scream four is the only scream movie I don't own because I disliked it so much. So, um, unfortunately I have not seen this, but I will say I'm going to watch it now because it sounds interesting. And actually as someone who primarily makes documentaries, but is always thinking about expanding into the horror genre, um, Mm -hmm. your comments about that really interested me last week and something I'm really actually going to look at closely if, as I, 
develop projects because I think that is a fascinating um, thing to consider. And, you know, and I had already been kind of thinking about that after watching that, that one extended scene in Halloween, how much I liked how they handled that. And then thinking about your comments after that. Nice. Interesting. Well, you know, I'll, I'll give you the, the route and I know we're, it's super late for us, but I, I think this will be worth it. I hope. Um, So Roger Ebert, we all know he is not the biggest horror fan always or wasn't. He did, um, he did a one of his great reviews is what it's called of the Godfather. And, um, he talks about this concept. He's the one Roger Ebert planted this in my head about how, how violence in the real world works. And he says, we know from gay Talisa's book, honor thy father, that being a professional mobster isn't all sunshine and roses. More often it's the boredom of stuffy rooms and a bad diet of carry out food punctuated by brief, terrible bursts of violence. And, uh, and when I first read that, when he was talking about the Godfather, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's how violence is brief Mm, and terrible and just bursts into your life. And, um, so yeah, I mean, that's super cool, Josh. I hope you do that. I would love to see a, a project like that. And, and thanks to Maurice for, um, directing us toward it. So he said it's Scream 4, but it, it said it's the, the cut. It was a scene that was cut, right? Is what he yeah, said. So we're going to have to get that Blu-ray. Okay. Check it out. Yeah. I would love to watch that as I well. I bet it's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. All right, Joshua. I think that just about wraps up episode 161 of Horror Movie Podcast. We want to thank everybody for joining us for this little bonus episode. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Josh, where can the listeners catch up with more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on social media at Icarus Arts, which is the name of my production company. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. I love connecting with people. I'll be on Universal Monsters cast again starting in 2019. And hopefully movie streamcast as well, actually. And I'm going to, otherwise I'll just be here at horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies. So good time. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And uh, we want to thank Allison once again, the horror unicorn for joining us. We're also grateful that Dave joined us from dvdinfatuation.com and we also want to thank Shudder for being our sponsor for this episode remember if y'all want to check out Satan's Slaves, The Witch in the Window, Terrified those were all recommendations from us, you can subscribe to Shudder and that supports Horror Movie Podcast go to Shudder.com slash podcast and use that promo code HMP you can sign up for a free 30 day trial that's up from the regular 7 day trial by using our promotion code, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com slash podcast with the promo code HMP for Horror Movie Podcast. And um, Josh, I hope people will also check out Movie Podcast Weekly, where we are doofuses about all kinds of movies. It's just, I mean, <laughs> people who have not heard that show probably are always like, why is Jay so critical and down talking of himself on that but it really is. But but this upcoming week we're going to be reviewing Widows, which is which is a film of note, a film to see in 2018. Mm. Not a horror film, but it is a genre picture cast with um, 
A-list, like, like, like fantastic actors who are like bringing their A-game to a genre cool. picture. So I, and it's a crime film. So I'm super excited. What were you going to say? Um, I hear, <laughs> I hear, I hear that you, and you kind of alluded to that tonight with your rating of Suspiria, that you're a lot harder on some of these films on movie podcasts weekly than you are on horror movie podcasts. Is that just your kind of tempering the films for your audience or what, what is that all about? Do you mean, um, between the two podcasts, uh, like rating the same film. Yeah, that you that uh, like you mentioned that you were a lot harder on Suspiria on Movie Podcast Weekly, and I had just heard from listeners recently that you were a lot harder on Mandy on Movie Podcast Weekly than you were on Horror Movie Podcast. Right. Well, okay. There's a couple of reasons. So, yeah, when I, I do consider my audience when I'm recommend when I give the recommendation, I mean my my rating number is the same, but when I'm recommending what they should do. You know, I, I just, I honestly believe that probably a lot of movie podcasts, weekly people would not be into Suspiria yeah. whatsoever. So that's why I said avoid. And then for horror fans, see it because of the horror violence and stuff. Now with Mandy, the thing is, it's just, and I'm not, I'm not blaming anyone, but it, it's difficult to have an exploratory <laughs> type of conversation where you're really wrestling with you know the film and the filmmaker on movie when you're like, really considering the cinema yeah when you're genuinely considering the cinema like like uh movie podcast weekly is a a review you know just like a a quick take kind of podcast and and i think you know over on this podcast i really appreciate i i love both shows of course but i like how we can you know delve into it as deep as we want and there's not like a lot of sighing in the background if we go if we go along on things <laughs> so that's all i'm saying and and those guys know i you know i say this to them too so it's not you know i'm not dissing them i'm just saying it's a lot more casual <laughs> over there in terms of analysis of film i feel like we can do more film criticism over here but you know i try to work it in i sneak it in curious. you know how you sneak in like um you know, pills into your dog's peanut butter or, you know, you sneak <laughs> vegetables into your kids, like, you know, milkshakes yeah, or whatever. I, I put, I put greens in all their smoothies and they have no idea. Exactly. That, that I try to do a little <laughs> bit of that over on movie podcast weekly. So, yep. So anyways, yeah. Movie podcast It's very silly. And, uh, I think people will like it if you like all kinds of movies and comedy. Cool. <laughs> And we love your comments, so make sure you get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave us a comment in the show notes for episode 161, or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail line at 801-382-8789. You can find all of our episodes, all 161 of them, at horrormoviepodcast.com, which is where you can also find the back archives for the weekly horror movie podcast and horror metropolis you can subscribe free in itunes and leave us a review i believe they call that apple Podcasts these days um, you can also follow us on twitter at horror movie casts we're also on instagram i want to thank fred ingram for the use of his music for the horror movie podcast theme song you can find more of fred's music at frederickingram.com 
And we'd also like to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his orchestration of Fred's original theme. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. We'll have both of those linked in the show notes for episode 161. And I think that's it. So we thank you for listening and we hope you join us again next Friday for our themed episode of Straw-Headed Horror or Scary-Ass Scarecrows on Horror Movie Podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies. And then also there is a um, kind of a a small scandal related to this remake because of um, tying to feminist art. Apparently um, there was some imagery that got edited out of the final film, but was in one of the earliest trailers that led to a lawsuit because um, the imagery was a pretty close uh, replica of um, some photographic images and performance art by a feminist artist named, uh, Ana Mendieta, and she, um, when I looked at the art in question side by side, um, there was one piece in particular that was just like, I think it was meant to be an homage, but because they didn't get permission and because it was pretty much a replica of her work, you know, they got in hot water and uh, Amazon got sued. And they actually, I think I just recently read an article that they were able to reach a settlement. Um, but uh, the director of this film is such a fan of all this feminist art. And I think that's great. And I think um, I love it when people do homages within their work to artists that they love. But I think it's so important to keep talking about, you know, intellectual property rights, especially because if you were to put a song or song lyrics into a film, you would have to have permission from that, you know, musical artist. And you would have to have probably licensing rights. Um, and usually that's very expensive, but people don't necessarily think that way as much if they want to include a painting or a photo or, you know, a recreation of something. And um, one, of, one of the images in question depicted um, basically a, a recreation of a rape scene. So it was like very heavy duty, dark, emotional yeah. feminist art. And so, you know, you don't want to like trivialize that by putting it in a horror movie trailer, you know. So it's it's interesting. I, I understand the sentiment of wanting to, you know, raise awareness about this kind of art and be pro-feminist and all that. But then I think sometimes people, um, I guess it's that saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> I don't think any, right. I don't think anybody was trying to get away with anything necessarily or rip this artist off. And, and But her estate basically only likes the work to be um, used for scholarly purposes. And, and I think think if they'd been asked they wouldn't have given permission anyway so that was a big issue but um that aside uh if you just google you know suspiria 2018 lawsuit you'll find all kinds of articles about it and you have to dig a little bit to get photos of the two images because a lot of the articles didn't post them and i thought well gosh how am i supposed to see if it really looks like a direct (laughs) representation there's also a similar lawsuit uh, against uh the sabrina the uh, yeah. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina series. I mentioned that. Yeah, it's, so it's very interesting that this is happening right now with these with two feminist witch, witch films. Project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting times. But I think both in both cases they had a legitimate claim to say, oh, yeah. "Hey, this yeah. is an original work of art. You can't just replicate it." I mean, you know, they had they had the whole Obama poster lawsuit over the Hope posters right. like a decade ago. 
um, where there was trouble over that. So Which I mean, you just, I actually don't agree with that one because that I didn't is either. a creation of a new artwork from that's you know from a photograph. I mean, he created a unique piece of art. But like, yeah, the Sabrina one is interesting. So the Sabrina one, they took um, the Satan statue from the Church of Satan and put it uh, basically a replica of it in the Sabrina show. Yeah. And the satanic temple, I guess is suing Sabrina. I, I just looked it up to reference exactly what it was. And there's a new article as a two days ago that the church of Satan clarifies. It's not the group suing Netflix is Sabrina. No, the satanic temple is suing Sabrina. <laughs> so so, so right. the church of Satan is, is tied to um, Anton LaVey. If people are familiar with who that right. is. And then um, the satanic temple uh, was in the news a few years back because um, they were protesting religious art on government property. And and I, th- I believe this was in Oklahoma. It's been a long time since I read anything about it. But so they actually commissioned this sculpture of Baphomet to go in place, you know, to go basically put next to, I think it was like the Ten Commandments or something. And um, and because, I mean, they could have used, the the, the people making Sabrina could have used really any image of Baphomet that they would have wanted and that's fine but the sculpture that they chose to make as their prop for the show is alarmingly similar and there's you know multiple ways to depict a deity like just body posture and like robes and what they're you know what's happening around them and so it was you know and i just think maybe because it's kind of you know people kind of roll their eyes at like oh the satanic temple or people think that it's devil worship or whatever like it's it's kind of a marginalized religion in a way um it's but it's also kind of laughed at because people think oh it's just a bunch of D &D nerds you know worshiping the devil or whatever (laughs) it's not really you know supported hello hello commission sculpture allison sorry sorry forgive me um it cut out for a minute there you you said um you said it's not really supported in and that's where it cut out could you start oh okay well i'm just i just get the impression that people don't have the same respect for you know a church that has the name satan in the title and they kind of want to laugh at that (laughs) so so i think a lot of people are laughing at the fact that the satanic temple is suing the show um but I think just from a, just not even a religious standpoint, because I'm that's not something I'm into, not interested in. But as an artist, when I see someone's intellectual property being imitated, and it's happened to me, you know, it's it's just and it's a big corporate entity making money, and also, you know, they have this argument. It's like, well, you know, mild spoilers for Sabrina. There's cannibalism and like satanic worship that's very dark and demonic, and and that's not what I guess this group is you know, anything like, I, I doubt they're cannibals, you know, it's just, I don't really know much about it, but I just think that, you know, they're worried about the depiction and association with the sculpture. And it was part of a political fight for freedom of speech and separation of church and state. And they feel like it's been trivialized. Um, and so, but yeah. And then, and the same with this, this lawsuit from Ana Mendieta's estate. It's, I mean, I just think you have to tread really carefully, you know, when, when you, want to homage something you know it's one thing to put a movie poster for a horror movie you like in the background of a scene you know a la evil dead you know but to take something that's about a protest about how 
you know, women are, are victimized sexually, like, and then just put it in your movie trailer. That's kind of a, a cheap move. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was intended that way, but it, it, it kind of, right. it, it, it puts a little smear on the film. I, I wouldn't dock the quality of the film and my rating at all because of that. I think that's a totally separate issue for me, but the it ending, was, it was, I mean, it was a mistake <laughs> that they corrected. I think, I think, um, had they blown it off, then it's something I would, you know, be fine critiquing them for. I think they were trying to do it as an, to honor the art. And I think the, the, you know, they didn't think through their move very well. And when they realized kind of, Oh, here's what we've done. They, they tried to course correct. I think that's, I agree. Yeah. I don't think, I think it's an interesting story. I don't think it should color anyone's enjoyment. I also don't, I'm not knocking Sabrina. I think that's a really great show. So, um, but it's just interesting that that's is coming up in conversation because they're so protective of music rights. So maybe we're going to see a movement mm-hmm. towards protecting uh, physical works of art and photography a little bit more. I didn't talk about the performances as much as I should have because the performances here are really incredible. Just an amazing cast of young women here. And also we haven't even said this, but Tilda Swinton plays three roles in this movie. And I, I, I'm usually on the fence about whether I like that or not. And I kind of feel that way here. Like on one hand, I'm kind of like, yeah, why you don't, you didn't need to, I don't know that it added a lot thematically. I'd have to probably see it again and think about it a little bit more mm-hmm. to, to decide whether or not I thought it, it added something, but it's impressive regardless. So <laughs> kind of impressive that she played three roles. It is. But at the same time, what it, it was a tiny bit distracting, I think to some extent where it felt like, not quite like Eddie Murphy in the clumps, but uh, I mean, it was a little bit of like, I mean, no, that that's, that's too jerky. I'm not trying to be snarky, but, but, but there was one aspect of her. With the makeup. Yeah. That was like a little bit just distracting for me, but I didn't even notice for like the first half of the movie. Oh, well, okay. Oh, She's but, a great actor. I didn't know about it going in, but yeah, no, I did. And I wish I hadn't because knowing it was distracting. So, yeah. so I guess if you, if so you forget everything I just said, sorry, <laughs> never mind. She doesn't, she doesn't play three rules. Yeah. I think, I uh, think this is one where minimal spoilers would help the viewing experience. Yeah. I've seen your art for years, you know, the little wing fairy art that you do and I've appreciated it, but I, I saw your drawing for the first time this last week and I was blown away. Like you are legitimately incredible artist in that form as well. I was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize you could draw this. Well, this is incredible. I just oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm always really insecure about my drawing skills. Cause it's not something I get to practice very often because I have a few things that I have become well known enough for that. I'm actually to, I'm able to make, somewhat of a living off of so sometimes you get yeah. stuck in a trap where you know and and I'm, I'm not complaining because it's it's great but people want the same thing over and over again and I would really like to round out some of my skills and I also have a couple horror comics kicking around in my head sculpture like based right like it's like yeah. lamps and wings and things like that mm-hmm. and and sculpting is a little bit easier for me to come up with without having to really think about it and two-dimensional art is just a little bit more of a challenge for me, but I really enjoy it. And 
And like I said, I have I all these drawings in my head and I have some stories I want to tell. And I just sort of like a bucket list need need to make a graphic novel before I die. So I want to practice. So it means a lot oh. that you thought that was that was a decent drawing because I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, you know, put this out here. I was here. really impressed. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Oh, well, I've, and I've been wanting to kind of express more of my horror interests that way, like we um mm. we've been talking about both Drew and I just like some of our favorite horror icons and how we'd like to we have a long hallway full of portraits and we put haunted pictures for Halloween when we throw a Halloween party every year and and we were thinking about like well we, you know we want to do more of our own original artwork instead of just you know buying stuff or you know putting it up on the walls although I will say I now own two original pieces of artwork by uh, Bonnie Basel who's an HMP oh, yeah. listener and they're gorgeous She's so great. and I love them. And mm-hmm. I was so happy to have them. And, and so they're in places of honor in our haunted hallway and up all year round. <laughs> um, but yeah, we want to do that too. Like I was looking at her work and I'm like, God, I wish I painted more. This is just, this makes me happy to look at. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to be working on that. And I don't know, maybe there'll be some of that on the website. It's not really most of what we want to paint and draw is not, fairy related so I have to figure out how to kind of tie that into my website or have like a connected site for more macabre things right <laughs> nice well I look forward to checking it out for sure <laughs> you know if I were to gripe and nitpick at this movie you know I I again I don't love the title I wish the title were a little bit different it just feels I didn't like the title either I I didn't I didn't think it it fit as a matter of fact it feels almost like a 70s exploitation film yeah, right. Yeah, but the, does it fit the does it fit the film in retrospect? I don't know about the slate. I guess I guess somewhat. Technically, it does. Yeah, it does. But but I'm with you, Jay. I you know I didn't I didn't go into this knowing what kind of movie it was. You know that doesn't tell you a lot about it. Um, not that the title needs to give a lot away, but I didn't think it was. I didn't think it fit as well either. Um, yeah, but yeah, like, you know. I mean, even so, I don't know what I would name it alternatively, but like maybe something like, you know, mother came back or, you know, like something, like, I don't know, or, oh, or, or, or wait, there's a line, How about just mother exclamation point. There's a, no, or, or mama, <laughs> mama, there's a line in this, um, where, uh, a character says, and this is after the mama's died, a character says, it's mother <laughs> and it's like ooh, yeah so i mean that's another option 